Righto, you legends, before we rip into another episode of the Deadass Podcast, I'd firstly like to thank our major sponsor, Country Tracker Caps, for the continued support of the podcast. You will find their merchandise at thecountrycompanies.com or if you'd like to design your own cap, head to countrytruckercaps.com. Knuckles has fired up a discount code for the pallbearers. Type in Deadass at the checkout to receive your discount. That is D-E-A-D-A-S-S. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dead Ass Podcast. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Dead Ass Podcast where we capture stories and eulogies. And today we have TJ back with us to share the second part of his story slash eulogy. Uh, how you going, TJ? All right, mate? Thanks, Bryce. Well, mate, I've lived another week, mate. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't captured me yet to put me down the chin, but well, I'll be, I'm with you, mate, so all going good. Well, we need you here for part two and part three, so you've got a couple of weeks left yet, mate. You're right. yeah. <laughs> so, mate, um, last episode uh, we finished up at your where you were at Burnett Downs. Yeah, brunette. Yeah, brunette. Sorry, brunette Downs, and then uh, so pretty much what we're going to do is we'll we'll head off from there. Um, we've we'll. We might retrace some of our steps um, and reiterate on some of the things that we've been saying through the first episode, and and but uh, we'll go through and we'll keep going from there, mate. Uh, so where would you like to start? Yeah, okay, Bryce. Well, I was looking through some um, literature I had at home, and uh, we might go back. Just I've written a bit of poetry over the years. Yeah, nice. Um, and different poetry, different things. And when I was a uh, go back to when I was a young fella, a kid on the farm there. Um, and my parents were always very strict. Yep. Um, you had to have good manners. Yes. You know, you had to, like, to mum, the word damn was swearing. If you said damn, You're in trouble. that was a swearing word. That was yeah. in trouble. And mum, and, you know, we, we pretty well behaved, but I was a little cheeky little bastard <laughs> and uh, used to be <laughs> the wrath of me at times. <laughs> and at home, the system was that mum was the magistrate's court Okay, sure. And, and that was um, 
oh, it could have been, you know, the uh, the toaster cord or or a switch, a box switch with plenty of leaves on. He used to find his way to me backside occasionally. And, but uh, poor old dad, he was a Supreme Court. When you got your father's court, go to your father. And when you get dealt with him, mate, you're at the top court and he'd fly across out. Pull, when you see him taking that bell off, well, you knew you were in big penalty come. Yeah, so, however, I, I wrote a poem. It's one of my poems I've written and it's called The Axe. The Axe. Funnily enough, there's a story you'll find out a lot more about The Axe. My son's called Meat Axe and that later on. But this had nothing to do with that. It was just when I was a kid on the farm. Yeah. So it's not that long, but I'll just yeah, please. sock it to you. I was reared as a child on, the, on a country farm with a strict upbringing which caused me no harm. But when I was in strife and mum would, and mum would chase me, I'd run down the back to the old lavatory, for the old outhouse was a safe place to hide as Dad kept his old plum axe safely inside. Now as I'd, now, as I'd escaped from Mum's, from Mum for bore, I'd just grab that old axe and jam it against the door. <laughs> and that's what I used to do. <laughs> I used to put it against the door, the head of the axe against the old thunderbox and the handle against the door. And mum would yell and scream much abuse. She'd push and she'd shove, but there was no use because that trusty old axe placed against very firmly would give me much security, for, would give much security for a brat like me. <laughs> One day when I was rude and very cheeky, my cunning old mum decided to get even with me and without any, without my knowledge, she removed that plum axe. <laughs> uh, her intention was to apply plenty of smacks <laughs> on my backside when she got hold of me to, not, to stop me from being such a cheeky, Smart little bee, <laughs> which she did. She hid that bloody axe in the wood. I went screaming down, mate. Talk about panic stations. When I got an old bloody dunny there, there's no bloody axe. Well, I knew she was only downhill from there on in. She's hauled me out of there and she's bloody flogged out of me. I think it might have been a toasting cord or something. <laughs> But I certainly popped it. I reckon, I reckon your old girl would have been bloody cheering too. She's like, oh, I got that little bastard. She, she buddy, she outsmarted me, but she, she got me. So thanks, uh, boy. Thanks no, for putting up a no, few, no, few little I'm, mistakes oh, there. Oh, matter, I love it. That's fantastic. That's, uh, that, that is dead set what happened. And that's, that's, that's brilliant. It's a lesson for all cheeky kids in the future. <laughs> old mum and dad, they'll get even with you sooner or later. <laughs> they'll work it out. They'll work it out. Yeah, you don't reckon you can outsmart? <laughs> them all the time. <laughs> yep. Oh, jeez, mate. So, um, so what? So what? What was the? What was the reason you left from uh, Brunette Downs and went over to the next place? What was the reason behind that? Well, the manager at the time uh, had just gone down. There was John Crane, and he was the livestock overseer yeah. on Brunette Downs when I was there, and he got the job to manage Kurabulka Station, which was owned by. Uh, the North Australian Parcel Company, NAPCO, where yeah. it's King Ranch <coughs> owned Brunette. Yeah. And he got down there and uh, he was looking for a head stockman and um, he'd, I'd seen me working for a few years there on Brunette, so he wrote to me and uh, asked me if I wanted to take up the job. 
which I did. And yeah. at the time, uh, $50 a week, head stockman on brunette, seven days a week, um, up to 20 men, 100 I think we had 156 horses in the plant I was in charge of. Uh, down at Kuraborka, you know, uh, you know, four or five men. Mm. Uh, had my own head stockman's house. Uh, about $75 a week I started that, so oh, wow. extra money. And I think you got, I got paid for Sundays as well. So, Did you? And plus oh, I was a bit closer to mum and dad. Uh, even though I was out there, I, I was getting closer to the farm on the downs there. So, so what was the – to give the listeners a bit of an idea uh, – at Brunette Downs, how far were you from home and then how roughly? Well, see, Brunette was on the Barclay Tableland, probably about six or 700 miles from memory west of Camelwheel. Oh, wow. Um, then you come back down to Mendoza, down to Bullia, and, and it was about 60 or 70 miles south of Bullia between Bullia and Baduri. Yeah, okay. So I was back into Queensland. Um, I was actually probably a real big day's drive um, from – Kuraburka Station, the mum and dad's farm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So big difference. Yeah. Big difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Plus, it was a bit more civilized. Was it? And um, it was funny that you mentioned something just before. It made me think about it. Like, if they wanted to reach you, would they write a letter to you? Most times, that, or was it what was it like through the mail, or did they? Did you have phones and stuff out there back then? Or? Yeah, no, no phone, no telephones on Kuraburka or or Brunette. It was wow. only uh, only letters. Uh, I think the station had. Telegram, a telegram system. Yeah. Um, Kuraburka Station did have the Flying Doctor a network which had telegrams. Oh, yes, okay, radio. And uh, on every air or hour, I think it was, they'd, they'd read out, they'd call traffic, they called it traffic for, they'd call out the stations. Yeah. That meant that you had a telegram. And that was a communication generally between those stations and the head office in Brisbane or the, the, the bosses of their company. Yeah. Through telegrams, yeah, okay. and then the, and then they could reply to those telegrams or send other ones. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah no, it was, yeah, no. Just yeah. I just when you said that he wrote a letter to me, I was like, oh, of course, it would yeah. have been yeah. it would have been minimal amount of communication. And and really, my old mum, she was the best old letter writer, and you really look forward to, you know, sometimes you mightn't get one for a fortnight or three weeks, but you really look forward to your mother and father's letters. Yeah, of you course. knew what was going on and. And and then I used to write back to them. Yeah, and, and it was like I've still got a uh, a lot of mums, mum and dad. They're both deceased, but still got a lot of their old letters they oh, wrote cool. to me, and I sort of treasure them really. Yeah, you, know? you, you would too, yeah. eh? And it's a uh, oh look, you know, it's a uh, very rarely do you hear people write letters to each other anymore, hey? Like that's yeah. a gone the way. I was a send a text or an email. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> or it's funny this, how this latest stuff. What are you good on? You get your Podcast, podcast with your face, your face on the camera. There, you're talking to someone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the video calling, all that sort of stuff, and yeah. skyping. Yeah, skyping, skyping. Yeah. <laughs> if for God's sake, put your pants on. You're on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> and and what was it like? What was it like working at that station at that time? What was it like? A lot better. Like you said, a bit more civilized. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, a bit more, a bit more, a bit more civilized. Um, but as in, as far as um, working stock, was still all uh, all horsework, all yeah. stock, stock camps, camped out. Um, when I first went to Kuraburka, there we had a an old Bedford truck. Um, yeah, we didn't have a refrigerator. We had what we called a meat tarp. Okay, uh, when you killed meat, you'd um, some of the fresh stuff in the uh, in, in the meat tarp, 
generally the manager would come and get some of it and take it back to the cold room at the station. Oh, but yeah. you'd have it in the fresh stuff until it got the purple, grew a few whiskers <laughs> and you'd shave the whiskers off and hit it with a bit of vinegar and keep your, keep your meat fresh. And um, it was all Bronco branding in those days, no cradles, branding cradles. Yeah. Um, Bronco horses to brand your calves. The camp horses are cut out your your fat bullocks. Yeah, um, yeah. It was all all you know, just pretty well much the same as I was doing on on brunette, but with with a lot less men. Yeah, sure. Um, and and maybe I had Aboriginal fellows there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which were good. Yeah. Um, no, it was uh, it, it was just a change of scenery. I'd never worked in the Channel Country before. Um, Kurabulka was um, geographically. Uh, just a massive big um, on the western side of floodplain uh, where the Georgina come down in the west, the Burke from the north, uh, the Hamilton and the King Creek all met on Kurabulka Station. Yeah, okay. And it was a massive big flood area, all channels and back in those days, um, lignum channels. You did a lot of swimming, mustering you swam your horse a lot in those days. Yeah. Um, an old camp truck. We always had a good, a good old camp cook. Mm-hmm. Um, until a buddy went bad, some of them went a bit off the track. Yeah. I'll tell you about one of them. Oh, well, I suppose I can tell you about it. now. I had one camp cook. Um, poor fellow. I got him out from Winton, and a lot of them they used to be sort of alcoholics, but very good cooks. But they go yeah. to town, drink their money, and then you used to have to wean them off a bit, off off their grog and yeah. Kurabork and those stations, always a dry station. We never had any ah, okay. grog on the station. And um, this bloke came out and he wasn't – he was sort of getting off the grog but he was doing it pretty steadily. Yeah. And the old camp truck had a little a little blue tin of, of um, uh, brake fluid. Oh, yeah. He used to put in the put in the bloody reservoir there before you moved it. Oh, okay. Get I already Clutch for brake fluid. Yep. And um, anyway, this day I uh, got up early and cookout wasn't up. Yeah. So went over and I found him laying sort of sort of on the ground out from out from his swag and he was unconscious. Oh really? So just at that time we did have it. Luckily we had a radio to talk to the station. I got onto them and 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 we bundled him up in, in his swag and yeah. drove him about sixty mile into the station to take him to Bullia. Oh, which wow. was a, which was another seventy, eighty mile, which was the nearest Sort of um, medical help. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was okay. And later on the day, I got a call um, from from the doctor. I think the flying doctor might have come down to Bullia to say, "Did we have any idea what caused him being unconscious?" Conscious, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I was moving camp that day, and and when I went to move the camp truck, I looked behind the seat to see where this blue this brake brake fluid tin was. Yeah. And it was missing. Yeah. And he drank this whole tin of brake fluid. Holy smokes. Yeah, and, and I found the tin, the empty tin over in sort of the grass over yeah. from where he was laying, so he'd, he, he drank that. Drank he the brake fluid. And it actually caused him to have a massive stroke oh. by drinking the brake fluid. It would yeah. do that, I guess, mm. wouldn't it? Well, bug, yeah. Well, those old camp cooks, they used to drink lemon essence and all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Did he recover from that? Um, yeah, but he was never any good no, after us. Yeah, no. okay. I don't think he ever went back to work. He was yeah. pretty bad. Poor fellow, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. rough, eh? Yeah, so. Um, yeah. What's the name? Another few things like that. Kurabalka was, was Channels, Lignum. Yeah. Uh, I was there in good seasons. 
Um, it was owned by Napco, owned Alexandria Downs up in the territory, which joined Burnett Downs. Ah, oh, okay, right, yeah. And they'd bring down these um, drive drive down stairs mm-hmm. and we'd fatten them up in the channels oh, okay. to, to be be good bullocks. Yep. And uh, the procedure was that early in the piece, the general manager and the managing director there, they'd come around and and we'd we'd set trucking dates to truck the fat bullocks away to, to yep. Winton to come to the meatworks in Brisbane there. And um, we used to truck 1,200 head at a time and they'd, wow. set, they'd set out the trucking dates for me. You know, I yep. had to have those cattle there at the trucking yards mm-hmm. by that date. So I used to basically, with branding the calves that were there, I used to have to organise all my mustering around the trucking dates and yeah, cutting, sure. out, cutting out the fat cattle and yep. uh, with camp horses. And, um, yeah, it was... Um, Whereas at, at, at Burnett, they had what they called contractors who used to pick up the, the cattle we cut out to go away. They'd pick them up, we'd hand them over to them. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, but, sure. But <coughs> I used to have to drive them, drive them myself. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. wow. Which, um, and we had all Bronco yards, one big trucking yard at what they call Old Station Trucking Yard and another one at... Um, at uh, Terrebo and another one at the station itself, but we never used that much. Yeah, right, okay. Um, because uh, Kurabul consisted mainly of the of huge channels, which was 50 mile wide at the big peak of the 74 flood, and the rest was open open downs country with flowing bores in those days. Oh, yeah, and, okay. And bore drains, the board, water yep. flowed out of the borehead out to bore drains. And, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a different... Different um, sort of lifestyle, a little bit more civilization. Of course, seventy mile away was Bullia. Yeah, okay. And we used to go in there, uh, you know, in between camps and different times. And um, like going to Bullia would be like going to the Gold Coast now, (laughs) (laughs) yeehaw to the bar and (laughs) whatever else was trotting around (laughs) back in those days. (laughs) And. yeah, no, I, I I used to love Bullia. Like it was a great little town. Yeah, I got involved with the, um, the first radio committee there. Oh, true. I was on the radio committee. What was that like? Uh, good. Yeah, I was always I was always sort of civilly civil minded to help. Yeah, you know, help, help the out. community. And that's cool I, that you did that. I used to buddy. Uh, I used to do some cooking at the uh, Bullia Golf Club. Okay, which yeah, was, which was bloody good. And um, yeah. Apart from that, no, it was it was good. And then, of course, uh, Christmas time, I'd go home, or sometimes I'd have to wait until the manager went and had his holidays. And what was how long was usually your holiday break? Oh, three or four weeks. Three or four weeks, yeah. So, but it was long. in one stint. Like yeah, one stint. Yeah. One stint. Yeah. Like the otherwise, other way, you'd just go to town, mm-hmm. go in Friday night or Saturday lunchtime, and yeah. come home Sunday night. Um, so was, you, you were doing? Was it just? Pretty much seven days straight too, though, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that was more. You, you had Sundays off. Yeah, you did. Um, like I was, as I was head stockman, I'd be find myself doing stuff on Sundays and checking where cattle were, or yeah, okay, or different different watering facilities or that. Um, and when the manager was away, which he was, I sort of had to do all the paperwork as in the manager's place. Yeah, sure, okay, um, fair enough. But no, we had we had a lot of good times. So, there was a lot of young people around there then, about my age, in the district. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd get, we'd get together. We'd go to the, um, we'd usually go to the Mount Isa Rodeo. That was a break. We'd have some time okay. off for that. Yep. Um, you had the Baduri, uh 
races and the Gymkhana. Yeah, okay. Which that was a great, a great show. Um, I remember one Gymkhana time there. Chad Morgan was coming to Purdue. Oh, true. <laughs> coming to Purdue. Old Chad will. We were bloody running around, buddy. We thought this is the best thing we're going to see, buddy. Chad, Chad Morgan. Morgan. Yeehaw. You know, <laughs> the, the sheik of Scrubby Creek. <laughs> oh, mate, this has got to be like seeing the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get down to Badiri saying a couple of old scrawny looking old youths there with the Chad Morgan country western show on. And oh, where's Chad? Chad got locked up in Windora. <laughs> he got railroaded. <laughs> He went on the piss blown up in Windora. He didn't make it to Baduri, didn't he? Uh, we were just about bloody suicidal. Uh, we were. Old Chad didn't make it. He didn't make it. Oh, he we got were, nine sheets of the wind. And, and uh, funny thing, about three years ago now, I was at Capella. Yeah. Um, and at, for the um, they had camel races there and that, and Chad had a had a show on. I oh, do. And uh, still the same old Chad. Oh, sings all the old songs, and not real politically correct some of them <laughs> these days. You know. oh, I laugh at them, but, but anyway, I went and saw him afterwards. Well, Chad and I we had a good old yarn, you know, about the old times. Yeah, I said, Chadley, when I was a young fella, you disappointed me. And he said, Why was that, Terry? I said, You didn't turn up at Baduri. <laughs> <laughs> did he remember that? Yeah, he did, yeah. mate. That fella, and he's just doing another show now. He's ninety something. Oh, you're kidding me. Memory like an elephant. Really? Memory like an elephant. Eh? You're kidding me. Mate, sings all his songs word for word. Wow. His son helps him out a bit, but, mate, just the biggest old larrikin. Real old piss ant. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's drank for a while now, but he used to get on the skirt and get locked up. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, just a lovely old fellow. Like talking is like a history lesson. Yeah, you know? Oh, I can imagine like it would have been. lesson. Yeah. yeah just, just brilliant. But uh, we used to have a Jim Carner and we... I went to Jim Carner's, a place called Hamilton between Bullier and um, Middleton there. Yep. I went to a Jim Carner there and um, in those days we took a truckload of horses down and, and um, on Saturday was the horse sports and Sunday was a cricket match between yeah. the, the ringers, the stockmen and the shearers. Oh, really? The shearers, a lot of shearers around there then Yeah. Uh, in that area and, and we'd, uh, we'd play the ringers versus the shearers. And uh, yeah, have a lot of fun. Ah, uh, good on you. Drink a few bloody few ales, wash yeah. the dust down, and um, what's the name? I had a friend. I'll mention his name. This fella, <laughs> he, he works for me on Brunette Downs. Fella by Madonna Grove. Okay, yeah. DLG. DLG. Funniest bastard you ever run across. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this, there's a few other stories, but I won't sort of relate them. But <laughs> he he had a race called Bang and Go Back. You ride along. Around this racetrack, the old racetrack at Middleton there, yeah. and they fire a shotgun, <laughs> and you got to spin your horse round and gallop back to the first post. See, old DLZ had a few stubbies, and he's going along, going along, and bang! Well, he took off. Way he went, he's going. He said, "Geez, I'm winning this race." God, we'd all turn around, going back. <laughs> we, we met him round the other side. <laughs> He said, I wonder why I was doing so well. He said, I thought I won the race. He's the only bastard that kept going. Uh, oh, shit, that's great. Oh, far out. How, how old were you at this time, at this point in time, roughly? Um, early uh, 20s? 20, 21, yeah, 21. Yeah. I had my 21st birthday on Kurabuk. Oh, did you? Okay, and, yeah. And that yeah. was a funny, funny story. Actually, I, um, I, I never – well. Fellas there knew I was 21, but 
I thought, you know, I won't, um, won't sort of advertise the fact. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, what happened was um, the, the, the men went into the station and I stayed back and um, I said, look after the horses and that. And anyway, this fellow by the name of um, Jimmy Wallbank, Jim Wallbank, there's a bloody real, very good young stockman there. He, um, he was sent out to pick me up from, yeah. the, sta- from the camp. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And unbeknownst to me, mum and dad had come out from, from Dolby. Yeah. All the neighbours were there. They put on a party for me, but they didn't, didn't bloody um, let me know. Ah, uh, okay. And, and, and Jimmy said to me, he said, oh, Terry, he said, um, the general manager's at the station there, he said, you're in a bit of strife. Ah. I said, what am I in strife for? He said, the bullock weights. He said, you said they were going to dress bloody 7'10", and they bloody dressed under that. He said, he's not real happy. He wants to talk to you. I said, "Geez, Christ!" I said, "I thought that I thought they were pretty right. I was pretty right with my weight. So I always had a pretty good judge of a bullock's weight." And um, I'm driving all the way, sixty miles into the station, worrying like hell about yeah, of course. probably going to get the bloody sack. From yeah. Me. So when we drove in, he said, oh, "I said, go to the house. I'd man head stockman's house. There, go to your house." He said, and "Have a bit of a bath and put some clean clothes on." And he said, "Well, he's going to have dinner up at the house, you know." And I didn't see any cars when we drove in. I was still shit myself <laughs> whether I was going to have a job the next day or not. So anyway, I was in there and and anyway, I was having my shower and <clears> just getting dressed and hear a voice said, "Hey, you in there?" And it was bloody dad. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, my old dad. Yeah. God, I just couldn't believe it. Poor old dad. Yeah. Dad and mum had come out. Oh, really? And, yeah, come out for me twenty-first party and they put a bit of a show on at the homestead there. John Crane did and. Oh, that's cool. And that no, it was a, it was really, really good actually. And I, all the story about the bullocks was just bloody bullshit. Bullshit stuff. just to get you up there, <laughs> just to get me there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was awesome. How many years did you end up doing there? I was there from seventy two to seventy six. Oh, I see yeah. that for a good stint. So, like seventy two, seventy three, four, seven, actually, well, five years basically on the station. Yeah. And they're all good flood years, like the oh, okay. beautiful season. So I trucked off bloody. Thousands of big, fat short on. Oh, cattle, really? You know? Yeah. And uh, what happened then was, um, seventy five, um, cattle prices were very good. Yeah. Very good, like they have been last year, um, and I trucked the best of my twelve hundred best bullocks they had there at Kurrabulk or the companies, and George McQueen on Moncori trucked twelve hundred of his best, put them together. And a and a cattle buyer named by the name of Clive Thompson for Borthwicks in Brisbane. Yep. The cattle used to be killed there. And uh and at the time it was the most amount of money uh paid for twenty four hundred bullocks in the southern hemisphere. Wow. Yeah, and it was a, and about a month or so after the market crashed. Crashed. World crash on beef in Australia. Wow. Um, and those same bullocks, which would bring got over a thousand dollars, were down to about probably six to ten dollars a head. You're kidding me. That's, that's what happened. Yeah. Just wow. Crashed. And um, and I had a I had a big camper man, and of course, of course, the next thing that happened was um, we sort of numbers were cut back a bit in the stock yep. camp, and um. And, and we were getting pretty pretty low, and the the government said they would pay two hundred, I think it was two hundred dollars for a fat 
cow that was a TB reactor. They brought on this TB yeah. t- TB eradication scheme. Oh, okay. And, and the TB reactor was two hundred dollars. I think a bull was two hundred. Nothing for bullocks. Yep. Uh, it may have been a hundred. I'm thinking it's time, but anyway, it's quite a bit of money considering they're only worth about ten dollars yeah. at the time. Yeah. So our company decided to do a full TB test. That meant every beast on the property had to be mustered yep. in the yards, and and, and the vets would t- inoculate them and test them for TB. Oh, okay. Yep. And um, it was getting towards the end of the season. The horses were getting tired. The mm-hmm. men were getting tired. And, I I just had a battle, you know, just yeah. getting this full muster done, and the reactors, um, you had to kill them, you had to shoot them. Oh, okay. It's beautiful, bloody, bloody condition, short on cattle, quiet cattle, had to <clears> shoot the reactors, and uh, I had a, there was a D four bulldozer station at D four. I used to bloody dig this big pit, push it out both ends, uh, with the D four, uh, with a bank on either side. Uh, we put the reactors in the Leyland truck, shoot them in there and drag them into the pit with the bulldozer. Oh, wow. And that just broke my heart to see those beautiful bloody cattle. Yeah. And I think we shot uh, about 600 and something. Wow. 60. These beautiful cattle were, were, were reactors, so we had to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of them. And then we used to fill that pit in and then start another pit. And that Jeez. sort of That was a pretty torrid time. That was seven days a week. Um, sort of around about that time, I know, a bit after that, I... I didn't have a cook, mm-hmm. and I used to make bread in the camp oven at night, in Baduri oven. Um, I didn't have a horse tail, and through that period I was horse tailing. Oh, wow. So you get up quarter to three, I used to go up a quarter to three in the morning, go out with the night horse, unhobble the horse, bring him back to the camp, work all day. Then, buddy, if we didn't have any bread, make bread at night, and that finished about 11 o'clock when I got out of the camp oven. Jeez. And then back again, and and uh, went into Bullia and... And uh, Bill McGrath, he was the um, he was the sergeant there in charge of Bullia, but a yeah. lovely old fella. Didn't mind a bit of cane cutter scorty, a little <laughs> old a bit of old Monday, you know. And uh, he sort of said he sort of talked me to join the police. But um, I'll go back to Kurrabulka. No, I I had very good years there. Yeah, I had some good young fellas. Yep. Um, fella like Bobby Wales was with me pretty well from the start. He went on to manage um, Moncora Station. Okay. Um, next door there, company place, big company place for years, 10 years. Another one of probably one of the smartest young fellows I ever had with me was first year was Mal Taylor. Yeah. Poor old Mal's not with us anymore, poor uh, bugger. R.I.P. He was a brilliant horseman, good with machinery, just a good all-round man, you know, yeah. Mal, Mal, Mal Debney, I mean, not Mal Taylor, Mal Debney. Yeah. Mal Debney. Um, were you were you uh, in the younger were you the younger generation like at that time like were there a lot of the blokes there older than you, no, or were they the, still around the, the same we age? We did have an odd sprinkling of older. Yeah, fellas. you did. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, back in those days, like there was younger head stockmen. Yeah. Um, because you know it was just full on. Yeah, of course. Uh, I did have other fo- older fellas work for me at different yep. times. Yeah. Yeah. And older Aboriginal fellas too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, just yeah, it's just interesting but, to see if um, there was a bit of a range in age or yeah, no, was... there was. I had some older fellas. I yeah. remember one fellow, John Hetherington, was there for a while. Yeah. Colin, Colin McDougall. Um, a lot of those, a lot of those single fellas. They yeah, single fellas. Single yeah. fellas, yeah. 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 You know, probably one of the um, greatest things. Um, <clears throat> this buddy Colin McDougall, he's an older fellow. He's his nephew, Johnny Geach, come out and worked for me for twelve months. Yep. Uh, great fellow Geach. He's still mates of his. Um, <clears throat> And then his uh, uncle 
was it? They were from Durham Bandy, from, yeah. from Hebel actually. And then Cole came out and worked for me for 12 months. And um, yeah, no, he was, a, he was an older fella. Very buddy. Um, funny old fella, like you give him the quiet horses and that, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, I'd never seen a fella that's so thirsty as him, you know. Yeah, He'd right. Get thirsty. And, like, if you're near a water hole, you get a drink and that. But, um, like, in those days, you never carried camel packs or water with you much, you know. Yeah. And um, in the afternoon, Kyle had, and he, he didn't didn't drink, but he loved a bloody mould of milk, but he went to bully in a tin. Oh, really? Like big, fresh mould of milk, see. And <laughs> I'd ride up beside him, you know, to be late in the afternoon, been riding all day, you know, heading back to the camp and... Uh, I'd say to him, you know, Howard, a nice, big, frosty <laughs> mould of milk with, full of, buddy, you know, caramel mould of milk, you know, with a bit of ice cream in the bottom of it. He'd say, get away, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he'd he'd gallop away. <laughs> he'd be dribbled in the mouth. But he is a brilliant man and, and he had a lot of lot of sayings. God, he had a lot of, a lot of sayings, you know. Did he? Told a lot of yarns. Were know. they like one-liners and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. sort of one-liners. Um, you know, I, I, I told a lot of these on on Proper Tree Yarn podcast with yeah. my son, but um, just I'll just slip one in here. Yeah, that'd be it's not, good. It's not a real naughty one. Yeah, yeah. But um, he was a cheeky old fellow. This old bloke by the name of Pickles Graham. He lived at Deer and Bandy. Yep. And he went into uh, primaries, the old stock agents or Primac and what it was, what is ever now. But he uh, there was a cheeky office girl there, and she was there, and he, he was sort of boiled on top, and had a little bit of bit of bloody fluff going around the side above his ears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the office girl, as he come past, she grabbed him by this bit of fur. See, and, and she said, "Pickles," she said, "she said you don't often feel." Hair growing on wood, <laughs> set on wood. <laughs> Old Pickles grabbed me and said, have a feel in here, darling, you'll feel it growing on stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the more modest ones. I love it. More modest ones. Modest ones, ones. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God bless him. Yeah, 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 but, oh, uh, that's brilliant. But I had one night, one night I'll still, and a fellow remind me, last beef week was with me in the camp there, a fellow by name Ross Hudson who, yeah. who lives just out of town here actually. He... um. When we were going back to the bottom, the company got on to me and said they wanted 600, the biggest cows I could truck um, the following week. Okay. And I had to go right down the channels, which was about 60, 70 mile, yeah. uh, and cut out these cows um, and, and, and bring them on. And I only really had – every day was accounted for. Uh, I okay. cut them out, move them on, cut them yep. out, move them on. Yep. And so I had a, a skeleton – Staff up horses, which are my camp horses, what they call face horses. Yeah. And I had a had a rubberneck bloody horse called Paddy. I had him as a night horse. Yeah. It was a rubberneck bloody thing. Anyway, I said, well, look, you fellas have been working hard. I'll take the horses back. And it was 17 mile back to the first camp at what they call number seven boar, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> so we got away early. The camp called. I said, you fellas, go ahead. But you do a bit of washing at the boar there. There's a hot boar there. Have a bit of a bogey and have a spell. And I'll be there this afternoon with the horses because I was head stocked, see. So just about dark, I see the camp truck pulled up on the road just this side of that boar. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, my God, what's happened here? So got there 
Um, a fellow by name of Ted Duff, he was a camp cook, bloody mighty old cook. Plenty of stories about him. Um, and he, um, camp truck, old Bedford got hot. Yeah, right. Pulled up and the sump plug had actually rattled out and dropped, ah. the, dropped the oil out of the sump onto the, onto the ground and she got hot and he'd pulled up. Yeah. So it couldn't go any further. Yeah. And every day was accounted for. So <clears throat> so after I had a bit of a bloody sandwich, I, I, I rode, I said, I'd have to ride through the night yep. back to the station. Yeah, okay. Um, and and there was that was two. There was a there was one paddock on Kurabok. It was about two thousand square mile. Yeah, that was okay. all the open country. Yeah. So I had to ride through this bloody open paddock through the night to what oh, they wow. call a bull paddock fence. Then go and get the manager and get some more oil and some plug or whatever. Yeah. So I set sail after dark. Rode sixty five mile. Walked and trot. Walked and trot. And what about? Uh, one o'clock in the morning, hit this divisional fence. Yeah, I tell you what, I was bloody pleased to see. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I followed along for about a mile and hit the gate, and up to the homestead. I got into the homestead about oh, quarter to three in the morning. Yeah, sure. Woke the manager up. Yeah, he just about <laughs> had a heart attack. And how the hell I could have got in there? And wow. So then we got some oil and went back to the camp and. So I'd ridden all day with the horses all night and then back all day the next day. So. Jeez Louise. And Ross, Ross Hudson was saying, remember the time TJ said you rode buddy old Paddy back to the station through the night? Yeah. So. Well, that would have been an epic trip, eh? Yeah, it was. You know, yeah. I sort of had a – I used to move a fair few cattle down there at the night time off, off dry dry water holes back to Boars and the open yeah. country at, at night. You know, yeah. you, wait, you wait until you take the cattle out Sort of bed them down until the moon come up. Okay, yep, and, yep, and and, um, and then you'd move them on. Move because them on are you the... you only relying on the light from the moon? Would you be? So, yeah. What when you when you're tracking through the night? Are you the only light you got is the moon? Is that what you've got out there, or what is yeah, it, what's yeah, it like out there? Star, just stars. you've got your stars. Yeah, you've got your Southern Cross and your different stars, and you just follow your watch your stars. You know, yeah, for your okay. direction. Yeah, okay. Did quite a few moving mobs of cattle in the night time with, you know, with moon, with a bit of moon and, you know, and the stars. But, yeah, um, yeah no, um, did move a lot of bloody different mobs through the night time. It was, it was, um, it it would, yeah, it would, it would have been uh, pretty intense. And then trying to keep <clears throat> keep that mob together and everything yeah, like that yep, while yep. probably you're yep. restricted with your visual and then trying to also use the constellations to track where you're going where as you're well. Head. Yeah, the stars that yeah. one particular night it was must have been the end of might have been seventy four, I think, or seventy five. Yeah. There was a waterhole right in the back of the Georgina went dry. There was about eight hundred cattle there, mixed cattle, cows and calves and bullocks and yeah. I had to move them off there onto this over to this number seven bore, which was a lot of water in the channel there. And uh, we took him out onto this big sort of a stony sort of a pebbly ridge. Yep. And we held him there until the moon come up. Yeah, okay. And before the moon come up, it started to spit rain. Yep. And um, it got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I had a Land Rover coming round from this other camp where we were going to with a bit of dinner for us. Oh, okay. And, yep. um, and anyway... Uh, <clears throat> With cattle at night, if you're night watching cattle at night, or as soon as it starts raining, they start spreading. Okay. You know, you got 800 head of cattle and probably had 
about six men, I suppose. Yeah. But they just it got heavier and heavier, and I said, look, you know, we're just going to have to let them go. I think this is the start of the the flooding, the, the, the wet, the wet you know? yeah. So I sent all the boys, they unsaddled their horses, put them in the saddles, and them in the back of this Land Rover. Yeah. He got going. I had to drive these horses back about oh, 10, 12 mile through all these channels to this buddy number seven. Yeah. The number seven bore, which was a channel full of water. Yeah. So if I more or less head sort of straight east, yeah. you know, you couldn't miss but run into this channel, you know. So yeah. it was the middle of the night, rain, and had these horses. And I, I hit this channel and um, just when I got there, I just buddy. I got off my horse near this tree and and um, I took the saddle off him. I got the wet saddle cloth, yep. leaned against the tree and, and hobbled him up and held onto the reins until daylight. Wow. And uh, when daylight came, I was about 400 yards from the camp. <laughs> oh, really? And it, it rained all that day and uh, and we went back to the station. I think I sent one of the other fellows with the horses back to the, yeah. back to the station there was about that night, there was about six inches of rain. You're kidding me. Yeah, through the night, yeah. And the actual camp truck that was there that was going to take our horses back to the station, it didn't move. The flood went straight when the big flood came down. Did it really? It went right through the truck, yeah, over mm. the, sort of probably about six foot of water through the truck. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah, so. That's crazy. That was a sort of a big night, I remember. Did you, did you, lo- would you lose cattle, many cattle over that? Flooding or it... You know, it's, it's amazing. No, you would lose some. But yeah. back in those days, no, no one had helicopters or anything. Yeah, you know, okay. Like, but funny, funnily enough, the cattle, they must feel a vibration in the soil or they get a sense they'd head out of the channels up into the high country. Yeah, okay. Like and some actually do it. Tra- some would stay on big areas where they'd get trapped between a few channels. Yeah, yeah. And they'd get washed down. Yeah. <clears throat> but they'd get washed a long way down, like... <clears throat> For instance, after the '74 flood was the biggest flood in, in uh, white man's history. Yeah, um, we had some about thirty Hereford cows and calves. Yeah, okay. Down at what they called um, um, Buller McCurdy Buller McCurdy waterhole yeah. and, and area, and um, and I because there was no Herefords in that country, it was all short on cattle in those days. So yeah. red, whites, and roans. So I checked them and. They belonged to bloody Tobemory Station. Okay. Um, uh, Sol Anderson that was there at the time. And um, and I got on to Sol and um, I said, mate, I've got some of your cows and calves down there. And he saw, I said, oh, how many you got? And I said, oh, it'll be 20 or 30, you know. Yeah. Oh, he said, not, not worth sending the road train for that little mob. He said, bloody, uh, eat them, he said, eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and the funny thing, their calves were Herefords. Yeah. And um, I branded the calves. He said, like, just brand the calves and eat eat the cows or whatever. Yeah. I branded the calves with the with the station brand, you know. Oh, yeah, nice, and, yeah. The Q1F. And, and it was funny, some looks when, when when we sold them as bullocks, they had the bloody <laughs> – they were Herefords instead of short, short ones. But she was all legit. She was all above board. <laughs> yeah, nothing sussy. <laughs> <laughs> Another time, I um, early in the camp, we used to have to, we used to have to cut wood uh, for the stock camps. Yep, <clears throat> for the cook and also for the, for the branding fires. Ah, oh, okay. Um, as wood. Oh, yeah, yeah, cut yeah, the sure. gidgey and, and there's that stunted gidgey in that country, the real hard stunt. There's no no such thing as a chainsaw 
Yeah, they okay. About, but the company never. Bloody us young fellas, buddy, on the end of an axe, we had to yeah. cut this gidgey and we had to cart it to all the camps mm-hmm. for our branding fires and our cook. Ah, okay, yeah, cool. And um, also, I. Um, I forget that you got to do that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, later on, they had we had a. I'll tell you a funny story about that. A um, a kerosene flamethrower, mm. which we used to heat the brands with. Okay, like, that was yep. like. Like you know, the change from valves to transistors that was a big, <laughs> big step up in technology. You know, yeah, like, it would be, I, I got to tell a funny story about that. We <laughs> and this fellow, I think he's still alive. He would be a fellow by the name Pee Wee Clark. He was the manager of Sandringham Station. Okay. And I just got this Riga kerosene flamethrower. You used to pump it up, pressurise. Oh yeah, yeah. And twelve gallon drum with a hole in the side of it, another side for your branding irons, and it heat. Irons up and next to that time they'd be bloody red hot, you know. And um, we, Pee Wee Clark came over to tend at Master on Kurabulk out in Palico on the western side of the Mulligan there. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we sent the horse tailors out to get the horses and the Bronco horses. And Pee Wee and I, probably four o'clock up past four in the morning, were sitting around the fire having a cup of tea. And he said, Are you going to get that, you're going to get that Brandon fire going? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, no, it'll be right, Pee Wee. But I made sure we'll, we'll fix her up, you know. And he kept he kept annoying me, you know. And I, and I just setting him up, you know. Yeah, setting him, set him up. up. <laughs> setting him up. Anyway, when I was getting sort of, when the horses come in, he said, Bugger, I'm going to go and get this fire going. He said, this is, you know, he's, he's, he's thinking, I must be a slack bastard, you know. <laughs> because you get the. To, for a fire to brands hot, there's a bit of time. No, it would be. You, you know, to, to get, get the, the coals and coal burnt down. Yeah. Anyway, I said, Peter, I'll show you something. I pulled out this kerosene flamethrower, this brand's heater. Well, he thought it was like <laughs> he was walking around looking at it. Thought I had a bloody Rolls Royce in the camp. <laughs> you know? He couldn't be. Look at it. Look at that. Look what at are you doing? What are you doing? He was, he was just blown like a away. Like a candy store. Hey? Like a yeah, kid in like, a candy like, store. Like, like a goat in a cabbage patch. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <he> was, <laughs> and, uh, but, oh, there's a million stories there you could tell like that. Yeah. Um, another fella, he, he's, he's still alive and he never he still never lets me forget this. <laughs> I won't mention his name. <laughs> but I had a bay mare on Kurabulka called Everetti. Yeah, okay. And, and she'd buck a town down. Quietest mare you ever saw. Yeah, right. You catch her, saddle her up, walk around, never hump her back, her head down like an old rover's mare. Yeah. Mate, as soon as you put your foot in the eye and your right toe left the ground, she'd leave the ground. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a bloody Sputnik skyrocket up. She and bucked that bitch. Hey? Like she was, she was bloody, you know, bloody yeah. unbelievable. So she was the mare in the camp. Teach fellas that thought they could ride that they couldn't ride. <laughs> yeah. This fella come over to the ten buster and he said, um, he said, uh, what sort of, what, you know, what do you want me to ride? And I said, well, can you ride? Mm. Uh, he said, there's nothing on this station that'll throw me. He said, oh really? I said, well, that's bloody good to know. I said, yeah. I said, I'll get some plane fellas here at times. I said, I'm real happy to have a fella that can ride. You know, yeah. that's bloody good. Well, well, we'll see if he can ride or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I put him on this bay mare. Well, I reckon she threw him 50 feet, I reckon. And she rolled him in the clover bear. Oh, and he got up and he abused the shit out of me. 
And I said, well, mate, you said you could, there's nothing on this station that you, but you didn't tell me you're going to put me on something like that. I said, well, you didn't tell me you, you couldn't ride something that could buck a bit, you know. And that same bloke, he's still in Bolia. Is he? And I saw him about three years ago. And he still remind me about that man. <laughs> I won't mention his name, but if ever hears this podcast, he'll say, yeah, that, yeah, that, know, bastard, that, that bastard, that bastard. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh. Another, another time, another big fella, the same sort of story. Yeah. I put him on it. He was a big fella. And it was middle of winter. It was cold as hell. He had a big Aaron Williams checkered red and black bloody um, um, coat. Oh, yeah. With wool inside. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wool, woolly ones. Yeah. And this mare, she threw him and he rolled like a top for about <laughs> 20 yards. And when he got up, there wasn't any red and black. It was all bloody khaki, all khaki, all, all not khaki, burp, bloody clover burp stuck to him. Never <laughs> taken hours to clean that out. He, he soon realised he couldn't ride as good as he thought he could either. <laughs> it separates the men from the boys, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, we had a time there. The company used to send these young fellas, you know, from Brisbane. That, oh, yeah. And they could all said they could ride and that, but those station horses, those plant horses, they'd all have a bit of a peg jump or a peg route with you. Yeah. To find one that didn't every year well, it was pretty rare, really. Yeah. And I, in the round yard there, I set up a, a 44-gallon drum mm-hmm. with four tie tubes and had a big old bloody holy saddle there. Was, oh, I yeah. It was like a bit of, bit of knee pad on it. And I used to get them in there. Going up and down and hanging oh, yeah. on. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. teach him to hang, hang on, on in, the, in the saddle. Oh, that's a great idea. And on the bottom of it, had a little rope. Yeah. Which you give it a little pull. <laughs> <laughs> you could go either way. You could spit them out this side <laughs> or spit them out that side. And they'd hit the ground and they'd, they'd say, get back on uh-huh. and learn to hang on a bit harder next time, you know. <laughs> that's and, brilliant. Um, anyway, we had six fairly new f- young fellas. Their first day out. Out from the station there, they bloody um, saddled them all up. Now I, I, I rode all their horses first. Yeah, dunged them out, lapped them around. All good. All bloody had a bit of a route and carried on. Yeah, right, young fellas, get on. And about ten minutes, I had ten empty. <laughs> I had six empty saddles. They <laughs> <laughs> all all got thrown. <laughs> and this old horse saddles, old Jimmy Larkin, the loveliest old fella. He said, "Hey, boss." What are you doing now? <laughs> well, you've got to start all over again. Put them back in again. <laughs> Sooner or later they'll stick in there. <laughs> yeah, they'll get it. <laughs> they'll get it. <laughs> but, uh, That's a good way to learn. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. And, you know, amazing. I had fellas there and I'll talk about one fellow who's not with us anymore, little Kimmy Ray. Yeah. Yeah, little jockey-sized fella. Yeah. And, mate, he, he come there, he couldn't, you know, he only ride a pony. Yeah. But he, in short time, he could ride a rough horse, hey, he could hang up. Really? That's a little jockey fella. Yeah. Jeez, he could ride. You know, I remember a bloke by name Colin Tully was there one day at the Palico Yards, at Bullagurdy Yards. He rode this big bay mare called Joan. She bucked inside out. That little fella sat up there. Really? Colin Tully said, well, there's not too many men in the channel country could have bloody ridden that mare today, but that little fella. He went hard. He, he, uh, but he's a funniest little bloke. He was smoking, you know, roll, roll, you know. Oh, yeah. Log cabin, the old tenant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he decided it's costing too much. He's going to give it up. Yeah. So he gets his tin of tobacco and he throws it in the lignum <laughs> where we were camped. <laughs> Spent the next week trying to find that tin of <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find where he threw his tin of tobacco. 
Uh, <laughs> I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, another time we, I used to do the this particular year, uh, you'd flat graded the roads around the stock camps. It was Strange, after yeah. after a flood, you know. Oh yeah, yep. And this old C12 Caterpillar grader, and there was one bit of a gully there. I thought, see, not too bad. And I run over. Always had oil riding boots on. I jumped up and down on it, and I thought it was firm enough. I'll get back this old girl and I'll wind her up and go yep. through this gully. Well, she fell in a day. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, God, I was, I was, what's her name? I was buddy, buddy two days carting wood to try <laughs> oh, and get her out of this pond. Oh, day. no. Terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. You know, but like in those days, like pretty well everything was done manually. Yeah, you know? of course it would have been, um, yeah. Well, you would have been, you only had to work with what you got too. Yeah. And we used to make all our own, I used to make our own bronco, bronco ropes. Oh, did you? Green hide ropes, twisted yep. green hide ropes. You'd make your own leg ropes and head ropes and, um, yeah, make your own hobbles. And, yeah, no, it was pretty pretty basic, you know, basic. Like, you know, like you'd, you never had a toilet. Yeah. Um, extend this a bit. 2011, I went back to Kurabulka there with my cousin and some mates. Yeah. And where we camped, they had a, a hut there with a, with a bore they'd put in there with a hot, like um, beautiful, warm, flowing water. Oh, yeah. Had a hot shower. And out in the flat, there was a big scraper tire with a septic toilet mounted up on it. Oh, really? You know, the, how good is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is luxury. <laughs> you know, like, like compared to what, what we had, you know, I always used to, I used to put a bay flower drum of water on the, on the fire. Yeah. And an old tub. Yeah. And, like, I could sit in one of those bloody galvanised tubs, which are not that wide. Oh, yeah, yeah, I of could, course. I could sit with me bum cheeks in the edge of the tub and my feet in front of me and have a bogey. That's, <laughs> that's how lean I was. <laughs> like a bloody grasshopper. Yeah. Oh, you would be. Well, you would yeah. be out there, wouldn't like, you? Yeah, ride seven. Like, one of the best, best exercises against horse riding. Yeah, of course. You're riding seven days a week, just about all day, you you know, you don't You'd have be too burning much, the calories. You don't have too much spare bloody fat on no, you, you know. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. There was there was there power to the property and all that sort of stuff? Did you or no, get like generators no, or anything? Well, no, they, they had power there, but um there was generators there for a while, I think, and I think I was there when they actually connected the power. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Like Brunette, it had two big D eight D eight motors, engines, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which yep. run the they do a week apart. Oh, okay. One one had run for a week. Yep. And they'd swap over the other oh, one. Oh, to give it a break. For the power, for that was a big like it was like a, a town, a city, brunette down station. Oh, where, okay. Like Kurabok had had a, the homestead that had the homestead, um, headstockman's house, the cook's house, the jackaroo's quarters, and the men's quarters. Oh, okay, sort yep. of thing, and and a big storeroom, workshop, uh, saddlers, saddlers shed there, like where the saddle where they used to have a saddler there years yep. ago. Yeah. Um, we did one. Lap there with the pack horses there at one stage over the channel, over the back channel there when it was too wet. Yeah. Um, that was the Bronco horses we used for packs and they were sort of big heavy horses. Um, yeah, no, we used to catch the calves with the, with the Bronco rope. Wow, yeah. Drag them up to a panel and brand them. And, wow, yep. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, no, well, it would have been all hard yards, mate, wouldn't it? Oh, mate, you know, you're young and fit and active. Yeah, you, and, could, you could handle it. You know, you just, that was your job and you 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 did it and you enjoyed it. And, yeah. Uh, and you worked hard and had a lot of good young followers. Well, I can sort of see the, I can see the benefit to it behind it. Like, you guys wouldn't have had a care in the world. You would have been, work, you would have been doing what you're doing. Oh, yeah. We loved everything that was, you know, yeah. nice, easy. Like when I say easy, like no worries. Like you're doing, yeah. you're out there, you're doing your thing. And 
like you you got kept, like you always got tucker in those days yeah. from those days. Yeah. Um, like sometimes, like your, your food in the camp was generally governed by uh, the camp cook. Yeah. You know, if you had a good cook, you did all right. If you had a cook wasn't so good, um, everyone would feel it. Yeah, everyone would feel it. But <laughs> I was just thinking there of a of a, of, a, of a snake story. Yeah. Right. Um. What's the name? We're laying our swag on a little bit of a clay pan at old station near an old shed there. Mm-hmm. And we're just laying there at night time. We used to lay and you used to actually watch the stars and see the satellites go over. Oh, yeah. So you could sort of. You'd pick up. And, and you weren't. You are were in bed pretty early because you had to be up early the next morning. And yeah. You're laying back there and you'd be talking and joking and then everyone would gradually fall off to sleep. But we're laying there one night and this bloody big bloody snake was sort of <laughs> heading towards oh. us. Someone said, snake, you know, well. Everyone jumped up and um, anyway, that snake, he sort of, he had a fairly rapid exit to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> snake heaven. Yeah. And anyway, we're there. And this is dead set and, and I'll tell you a bit more about this, what evolved later on, years later. Yeah, okay. Anyway, we heard this noise and we had this Jimmy Lark and he was a, he was a Calcadern full-blood Aboriginal horse tailor. Yep. Um, with he had the tribal... Marks on him still, yep. you know. Okay, wow, yeah, but sure. Loveliest fella, loveliest, best horse tailor, best man. Just a great old fella. Never talked much, never talked yep. much. And I heard a noise like a like a grunt, like a like a grunt yeah. right out out from the – we were camped on King Creek. Yeah. And um, on the southern side of King Creek, which is a pretty big waterhole there. Yeah. We hear this noise out further, see, and that – King Creek swung around a bit of a bend and there was a bit of a sandy section where there was no water. Okay, yeah, sure. And I said to Jimmy, oh, man, what, what's that noise? I'd yeah. never heard. He said, oh, it's a snake call. Huh? Snake call. And we thought, yeah, snake call. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's what he said and he'd know. Yeah. He said, you listen, he said, another snake will answer him. He no said, way. And he said, they'll keep calling until... They get together. Really? So we're there and we're just listening. Sort of. Next thing behind us, behind this channel of water, which would be uh, 50 yards across, yeah. I suppose, we hear this snake call. Yeah, right. Answer. And then they started still calling, calling, calling. Wow. The two of them. Yeah. And then we could tell that this one behind us was heading west. Yeah. And the one in front of us was sort of heading west as well. And, and old Jimmy said, they'll call. Be be a male snake and a female snake till they get together. Yeah, and then they stop calling. No way. And and I, and that's exactly what happened. Was that is that exactly what happened? That's happened. Yeah. And I, I would say geographically, the one over the creek over the river, the, um, the King Creek, didn't call until it crossed where that sandy section was. Oh yeah, sure. Another one was coming down, male and female snake. You're kidding me. And they stopped calling. And anyway, uh, I've read since. They said that the um, carpet snakes, like they, they call, they call they, each other. They call each other. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't know. I had no idea that. When I went to, and, and this is come cutting in a bit. When I went to Charleville <clears throat> as a police officer, yeah, there was fellows like Peter McRae. Uh, he was a zoologist. Yeah. Um, Frank Manthy and some other fellows, and I was telling them. Yeah. They were experts on snakes. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I was telling them about this snake, about call, the snake call that I heard. Yeah. 
And they said, bullshit, snakes don't cook. <laughs> what were you drinking? <laughs> I said, well, I wasn't drinking anything because there was no drink in the camp. Yeah. And I said, an Aboriginal told me and we heard exactly what he told us happened. Yeah. So I believe in snake calls. Yeah. Well, and I used to go, huh, 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 this thing. <laughs> and they, there was a big joke. You, you ever heard it? T.J. Hanley's mating call. He <laughs> 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 used to take the piss out of me about having mating call. <laughs> oh, I can't believe that that was the thing. That's crazy. Another another story I'll tell you about Kurabulka. See, Kurabulka had the Western Taipans. Ah. This is the inland Taipan. Yeah. The deadliest land snake in the world. Crazy, okay. eh? Now, in 1972... We were clearing the flood debris off the fence between Kurabulk and Clooney Station. Yeah. And that Don Grow I spoke to you about before, he was he'd handle snakes, any snakes, you know. Yeah. He'd catch them. Yeah. And uh, and I certainly didn't get into that practice, but <laughs> this spotty snake, he was rattling around there and he had a sort of a dark head. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, um, Donnie, can you catch one of them snakes because there's plenty of them there. Yeah. And uh, he grabbed one. And he got hold of him by the neck, and I've still got the photograph. Wow. He was holding this snake, and he got his pocket knife, and he pranged, he prized his fangs out. Oh, really? His head. He said, like, he's a dead, he's a he's poisonous snake. Yeah, yeah. He's got fangs, see? Yeah. That's all right. So we didn't really know. So in Christmas 72, yeah. I went down to Bob Irwin, had a little bit of a snake. A snake show there where the Australia Zoo is. Ah, oh, okay, yep. That was, um, what's his name, Irwin's father, you know? Yep, that? yep. Irwin's old Steve Irwin. Old Steve Irwin's father. father no? yep. Steve's father, old Bob. And I said, what's a, I didn't have a snake with me. I said, what's a black-headed snake in that country that that's pretty lively, you know? Yeah. He said, no. Nah. He said, no, nah, there's no black-headed pythons, only black-headed snake sort of with a dark head out there. Yeah. He said, no. Nah. Anyway, the next... Year I come back again, he had one of them in a glass oh, case. Oh, bullshit, really? In a glass case. Yeah. Did he really? And what actually happened, there was a young fellow who got bitten at a, in a car park of a hotel in Mount Isa by one of them. Ah. And they gave him the wrong veneer. Yeah, and he died. Ah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I wanted to tell you a story about these Western Taipans. Yeah. And I've got all the books about them. Yeah. Uh, deadliest land snake in the world by far. Yeah. But... Very short fang. Okay. Yeah, very short fang. Very short fang. But we're driving, what's the name, these cattle along, and I had this fella Willie with me, Aboriginal fella, mm-hmm. behind this big mob of thousand head of bullocks in the channels, um, Nadu, cracky sort of country. Yeah. And um, dust, that, and the cattle sort of jumped and rushed sideways. And I said to Willie, I said, one of the snake was up in there. So we were yeah. looking around and we saw. One of these Western Taipans, about about two foot back from his head, he'd been trodden on in the cracks. Yeah. So I always wore a had a Smith's pocket watch on my belt. Yep. I look at my watch, and I said, "I, I wonder if one of these bullocks got bitten by this." Ah, okay. Three minutes, three minutes later. Yep. This big bullock started to stagger. Yeah, right. He went down on his ribs, give a few kicks, and he was dead. You're kidding me. He was dead, you know. Wow. You know, and, and I used to go out before daylight in that Lignum Channels, yeah. unhobbling horses where you're bending down and taking hobbles off horses mm. 
and you could hear him slithering around. You know, oh. and I thought, well, how lucky was I or any, any other one else? A hundred percent. You know that, and but the thing was, they still do it today, and the people tell you that uh, is a shy retiring snake. I can show you, but shy retiring snake. Yeah, okay. He's not always a shy retiring snake. Oh, really? Because one of his nicknames is small scale snake or fierce snake. Yes, I have heard that. Yes, and I've seen him when he's been a fierce, fierce snake. snake. <laughs> yeah, gets the reputation. Well, they don't call it a fierce snake without a reputation right. for being but one. Generally speaking, if they hear you, they'll crawl they'll away. Crawl you away. Know, but. Sometimes if they're bloody they're like, nah. had a bad week at the office. <laughs> <laughs> Misses at them. <laughs> Mrs. Snake didn't give them one, so they're pretty cranky. Had to play with his own snake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah. Nah, that's pretty lucky when you think about that, though. Hey, like, you know, that three yeah. minutes later, the big bullock's bloody dropped. He's dead, yeah. Oh, yeah. crazy. They say if you get bitten by one now, yeah. you know, you if... The beauty is most people have got jeans on, and yeah. when he bought strikes you, the, the fangs will go in your jeans. Yeah, okay. won't go into you. Okay, if yeah. you get a good bite from one of them, mate, you can't you know? Yeah. If you can get a hail mary out, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you might get to the end yeah. of it. Oh, that's it, hundred yeah. percent. Jeez. Well, I, I forgot that you have got those dangers there too, and. Yeah, you know, you you, had, anything else? Any other? Anything else you have to really be careful about that way? Did, any oh, other? Well, probably your biggest. I would probably tell a story too. Um, uh, now, what's the name? Cracky Ground, Nadu Ground. Okay. And, and sometimes we used to night watch cattle. Yeah. If they rushed. Yeah. We used okay. To, have to chase them in the night, you know. Yeah, radio. And a lot of people have been killed in rushes at night chasing after cattle. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Come down, crash down, and yeah. Um, I had one instance where I, I was mustering by, oh, well, so the, by myself in this area and the other fellas, I'd send them all around. Yeah. And I was riding a bloody big chess, a mare called Jeddah. Yeah. And I'd seen these cattle and I was cantering towards them in this craggy country and she did a complete bloody somersault. All oh, right. And I went out the side, luckily, and knocked myself out. Wow. And she was, a, she was used by the horse tailor sometimes, beautiful big chestnut mare. Yeah. And... Uh, and I woke up about two hours later. I come to yeah in the middle of this lignum channels, and um, what's her name? Um, and I was sort of dazed and sat up and looked around. Then I stood up and she was just feeding just near there. Oh really? Wow! She didn't run away. Like she wow. didn't go back to the horse plant. Yeah, yeah. Um, another time, buddy, uh, there, Jim Larkin, the horse tailor. Yeah, uh, uh, we were mustering horses. Mustering cattle, and it was late in the afternoon. We come back to the camp, and he was on his horse, and um, all the horses were feeding around, and they weren't hobbled. He'd have them all hobbled up. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you'd let your horse go, give him a drink, let him go, hobble him up. And um, and he was there, and, and I said, I'll canter over and see what's happened, what's wrong with Jimmy, you know? Yeah. Went over, and, and there was a horse called, and this is, buddy, you'd think this is a fairy tale, but horse called Chinaman. Really? A yellow horse. Called Chinaman, and he kicked out, kicked up another horse, and kicked him in the right leg. Ooh. And between his knee and his ankle, just shattered his leg. It was Ooh. broke. It was hanging. Hanging. And that poor old fella, been there since ten o'clock in the morning, sitting on that horse with a broken leg. That's tough. And um, anyway, we got. We didn't. I didn't have a cook at the time. Yeah. I drove him into the station, 
Oh, it'd be 60 mile or so yep. over the in this whole camp truck over this rough really? roads and channels and then they took him into Bullia. But anyway, cut a long story short, uh, that horse's name was Chinaman. Yeah. The next year, you know, we mustered Valroy stock horse paddock, probably 60 or 70 plant horses. Um, you know, um, Chinaman wasn't there. Oh, really? You know, say to kill a Chinaman. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say kill a Chinaman. For some reason, that horse didn't turn up. Wow. So you sort of think, well, <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit of a yeah, bit of, of an, a bit of an omen type of thing. Of, yeah, yeah. He never turned up. Wow. Dead set right, and he broke poor old Jimmy's leg. You know, loveliest old fella. Wow. Um, I went to um, Mount Isa Rodeo once, and this old fella never talked. But mm. when he got a few beers in him, he talked like hell, you know? Oh, yeah, yep, yep. I went into Bordy's Hotel in Mount Isa. Jimmy was there and I had a couple of fellows in Camp 2 with me on, on Brunette. Yep. And they come in and, and they see me in there and they come in they're shaking hands. Oh, it's good to see you. know, the lovely fellas. Yeah. And, and this Jimmy was there and he had a few beers. In a, hey, get away from him, he said. He's my head stockman now, not your head stockman. Get away, get away. He's all, get away. He's my head stockman, not yours. You know, he, he didn't like me talking to these, <laughs> these other fellows. You know? <laughs> I yeah. like that. Yeah. You're protective. Protective, yeah, yeah. I will just... There's another night. Keep going. What's, what's yes, the sir. name? Um, see how you go with this one, but there was a, a fellow by name, Willie Doyle. Yep. I don't know if he's still alive. He might be. Yep. In a grey horse called Pretty Boy. Pretty Boy. Yep. A big grey horse, and I had a horse called Cigarette. Big, okay. A big Jesson horse. And we had them tied up for night horses. Bloody bullocks were jumping, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. They yeah. smashed about three Bronco yards in the night, and we had them tied up, and you'd actually sleep with your riding boots on. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. And you'd hear them when they'd rush. Yep. Because there's other fellas night watching them. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, they rushed this night, and. and and this Willie and I, we hit, we flat out after him, you know. Yep. And he used to wear a white hat, um, a bit like John Richardson wears. Oh, yeah, white, yeah. White yeah, sort of hat. Yeah. A real white, always wore a hat like that. And him and I were flat trying to get around the lead of these, these bullocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, by then would have been 1,200 bullocks. Jeez. And um, we galloped, I don't know how far we galloped, but. To get to the lead of them, you had to get around the, in the night time, in the dark. Oh, dangerous, like, yeah. Dangerous as hell. Yeah, and and he was in the lead, and I sort of followed him up, and he got round. He bent him round, and I bent him round, and we went round and round, and we finally we stopped him. And then others yeah. are still coming, and they're bellowing and carrying on, and you sort of hold them up. And anyway, I said, um, I said to him, "Geez, Willie," I said, "You did a good job, you know." Yeah, lovely. As uh, well. He used to play a guitar, sing did he? a beautiful voice, sing and oh, play a guitar. True. Like today, he'd be on Australia Idol. He was that. Oh, good, that good you was know, he? But, just the loveliest man, good uh, fella, good stockman, yeah. just a nice bloke. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Anyway, yeah. no, you're right. I'm just trying to think of a few other things that sort of happened on the station. So you were saying about the '74 floods? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we have brazed over that a couple of times in some of your conversations, but obviously it was a very significant event that took place. Um, what, what, what? Yeah, how? What happened? So it was big, big '74 flood. Yeah, Brycey. Well, 1974 up until possibly recently yeah. uh, was the biggest flood in the Georgina River and yeah. possibly the Diamantina in, in white man's history. Yeah. 
Um, uh, and Kurbul Khadev was almost, well, it's about 50 mile wide. Yeah. Uh, but I was there and the manager had gone away and there's me and that Aboriginal fellow, Jimmy Larkin, I spoke about. And it rained that much, like the floods, we, we, we could hardly even walk around. Yeah. You know, you couldn't get a killer, whether we yeah. used to get our own meat. Yeah. Couldn't get a killer. So we we relied on whatever we had in the storeroom, the big old storeroom, see? Yeah. Anyway, in the bottom of the storeroom were these big five-gallon drums of beef, bully uh, beef. Okay, uh, yeah. Tin, tin, tin beef. beef, yep. So I said to Jimmy, well, open one of these up. Yeah. We opened it up and um, and we ate it. Uh, it was good as good as gold. Was it? We ate it. I ate it. Bloody curried, bloody stewed, crumbed, everything way you can in <laughs> <You get laughs> fritters on bloody, for everything. You know, ate it every way you could eat tin beef. Yeah. And we ate bloody near ate the whole tin before you know, before we got sort of stores or anything we could have real beef. Yeah. But um but anyway, following on from that story, after the floods there's an old fellow out in that country. He'd been there for years and years. Old Sammy Hill, and um, he said, um, "I said, Sammy, that that tins of beef in the store there. He worked there over the years. Yeah, like I'm talking the 1970s. And he was, he was nearly 80 at the time. Ah, oh, okay, wow. Yeah, and, sure. Um, he said, "Well, I remember the manager bringing that tin beef there, getting it there because it was real. Been big droughts, um, cattle died and that." In the nineteen twenties, he bought he bought that beef, <laughs> so it's been in the storeroom out in that heat old storeroom for fifty years, <laughs> oh. and we ate it, Holy and it was bloody good. It kept it. We didn't get sick, neither. Of us. Oh wow! And I sort of remind my wife of that when she's saying some bloody years by date in a tin or something. I say, <laughs> Christ, it's only two days over. I had bloody corned beef for fifty years, fifty years old. in the in the tin. Wow. And uh, I often wonder whether those, some of those old tins are still, still in there. there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. But um, when, when finally got dry enough to land a Cessna plane there, um, the general manager and and, um, uh, and a couple of other fellas arrived. I took them for a bit of a run around and uh, um, just prior to that, a pilot from Bullia, yeah. uh, followed by a Whittaker, he landed there and he said, you want to go for a run into Bullion? I said, yeah, no, sounds good. You know, tongue was getting a bit dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we went up in the air and at this time the Diamantina and the Georgina were in record floods of all time. Wow. And when we got not too far up in the, in the air, you could see the Diamantina. The edge was like a big inland sea. Wow. And we flew across it to Diamantina Lake Station Yeah. and we landed there. I think give them some mail and, and some stuff, then flew across the Diamantina and across the Georgina, or actually it's Lake Air down there, yeah. to Baduri. Yeah. We landed at Baduri and then um, then went to Bulia that night and then the next day I flew back to Kuraborka. But just I can still shut my eyes and see those those waterways. Wow. Is that clear in my mind how huge they were? Would have been like, massive. Like just inland seas, you know, and uh, – yeah. And, and actually the Diamantina at present, it's just about to a 74 level. Wow. And uh, I know the Hamilton Channels, it's between Bullion and Win, um, Middleton. Yeah. Uh, and some places there this recently 
was a metre higher than the 74 level. You're kidding me. And wow. they're talking about the big water that's down at Birchville now. Yeah. And oh, yeah, all, yeah. It all comes yeah. from there. Up yeah. Top, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I yeah. saw some photos this morning of some guy sitting out there putting his clothes out <laughs> to yeah. dry. Yep, yep. <laughs> Probably but, waist uh, high water. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I just saw other things there. I used to break the horses in Kuruboka there. And those days you got um, station wages plus $10 a head. Oh, okay. And you expected to break in. You know, probably six a week and oh, wow. in the stock camp, but 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 you know now, you know they'll take a long time to break a horse and probably charge a couple of thousand dollars yeah. to break a horse. <laughs> like, it's funny how that like, works, eh? Hey? You know, like uh, like Brunette Downs here used to get six six young horses each fortnight in our camp and yeah. the headstock them and could jump on them and lap them around and figure eight them around and crack a whip off them and jump off. They were yours, you mm. know. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, but so um, what'd you do with it? You just keep them in the station, or did you get rid of yourself? No, them no, no, well, you took Rotate. them to the stock camp, you stock worked. Camp. Ah, okay, they yeah. were just your, your new replacement horses, the ah, older ones that yeah. pension off, and the new yep. ones were coming up. Yep, okay, fair um, enough. And I, I had a buddy, this is a bit of a, a horse story, a Kurabulka story. Yep, I had a mare called Allison. Allison, I broke in. she's a beautiful mare. Um, she rude a bit early in the piece, but anyway, I um, she was my pet. She'd walk up for, for a scratch, you know, out, yep. of, out of the plant. And then later on when I was doing um, horse tailing, I'd keep her for a night horse and she'd ride out because you'd, the horses had bells on them. Yeah, and they'd sure. walk out and she'd head off from the camp early in the morning before daylight to get the horses and you couldn't. You'd ride out roughly because through the night you'd hear which way they were going Yeah, until you hear a, a bell. Yeah, sure. And... Um, and anyway, um, a lot of them, they'd stand real still in the cold of the night. There wouldn't be a, a little d- <laughs> tongue in that bloody bell. wouldn't even <laughs> rattle and you'd say, you bastards, where are you? You know, dark as inside of a cow. Yeah. And um, anyway, this mare, she used to, I used to, I used to bloody let her go out, take take me out, and she'd start whinnying. Oh, really? And then they'd, one of them would give a whinny back and <laughs> there you are, you mongrels over there, you know. Well, then when I was using other night horses and the night horse would be whinnying and yeah. she'd come out to meet me oh, out okay. of the mob. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't have hobbles on her. Oh, okay. She was a spoiled bitch of the, <laughs> bitch of the mob. And the others say, you mongrel thing, you know. <laughs> Boy, you haven't, you haven't got hobbles. We have, you know. And she'd come out, out of the mob. When that night horse started whinnying, she'd come out because I'd take the saddle off the night horse and put it on her and yeah. straight back to the, to the horses, to the plant horses. But... Another thing there, another thing, they used to bloody rush those horses of a daytime. Did they? With the horse tailor. And uh, John Crane, he's a very smart man. Um, he said to me, there was well, actually one of my camp horses called Clary. He'd be in the lead, he'd be going like, and they'd gallop into, when the pain, mainly when they're getting close to a camp because they knew where they were going. Yeah, they'd sure. They'd gallop in and kick up and fart and run around and, and, uh, and this Clary. So John Crane said, get a bloody nut. Tied in his forelock, oh, he, between his front, you know, he hang down. When he yeah. started going, it'll start bouncing him on the forehead. He, he put the handbrakes on real quick. <laughs> that worked too. It'll it work, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's and, a great idea. Uh, not on the forelock, mate. Yeah. That steady him up a bit. <laughs> but, um, but, oh, yeah, no. It's, you know, all horse, the you know, bell and hobble days, they, uh, they were good days. They no were good, good days? They were good days. What, what, what? Made you want to leave from there and go to the police. Like what? What? What was the summons to that? Because well, yeah. Well, 
like the cattle industry dropped. Yep. Dropped right back. The prices were down. They put a lot of men off. Yeah, okay. And you know, I was, as I said, I was at one stage there, I had about three men in the camp. I was running the camp. I was horse tailing in the morning, out of bed, cord to three, mustering all day, then cooking bread at night, and this day after day after day after yeah. day. And, and um, I was getting worn out, you know, I was really yeah. physically. Physically getting worn out. And I, was, and I, w- I went to Bullia and um, I knew old Bill McGrath, who was old sergeant there, bloody lovely fella, he wasn't that old in those days. Yeah. And he said, TJ, you look bloody stuffed, you know. I said, mate, I've had a pretty heck. Because this is after you do all that TB testing and that. Oh, okay, I was, after I was that. getting yeah, worn brilliant. out. And, and, and anyway, he said, well, why don't you join the police? You so know? you hadn't well, thought about it at all no, prior never, to that? That, never, was, never. that was the last thing in your, in your mind? Last thing in my mind. Yeah. And I said, mate, Bill, mate, I said, I'm a ringer, not a copper. I don't mean bloody copper. Yeah. You know, I said, mate, never even enter my mind. Yeah. A lot of different things mind, but not that. <laughs> anyway, he said, um, well, Terry, I'll show, I'll show you what their pay scale is. Yeah, okay. And he started, but he said, I am targeting young people to get into the stock squad. Ah, uh, okay. You know, the police stock squad. And the stock squad. To handle yeah. stock, stock stealing offences and that. And he said, mate, you'd be ideal. You know, you run your own stock cam, break your horses in, track, you know, you track and drive stock through the night and all this. He said, you're, you're an ideal Candidate to become a good stock squad man, you know. Yeah. Anyway, after, you know, a fair bit of cane cutters cordial. <laughs> <laughs> the old Bundy bear. Yeah. I, uh, I bloody signed up. Did you really? Yeah. And yeah. And, and I thought, well, he's, he said, you know, you got, you got to well, he's making, try it. Makes sense. He said, you know, he said, you know, you get accommodation supplied in western areas and round and, yeah. and uh, I thought, well, I'll give it a go. If I don't like it, I can always come back to the bush. Yeah, well, that's it. You know. And yeah, how yeah. old were you at this time? Uh, I think I joined up about 25. 25, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, what's the name? Yeah, so I thought, well, you know, if I don't like it, if I do like it. And I never really expected to stay with it. Yeah. I never really yeah. expected I'd stay in the police. Yeah. yeah. I never joined it for the same, well, I'll be there all my working life. So yeah, of course. Working life. Um, but... Um, yeah, that's how it really happened. It's, well, then, yeah, it's funny how like you don't. I think having that sort of mentality going into it from the start, I think it's probably what kept you in there the whole time. Yeah, plus doing mostly what I like. Like doing anyway. Yeah, yeah. And um, what was that pay scale like compared to? to oh yeah, well it was like was I it think, better? Was it a better pay rate? Oh yeah, a lot, a lot better than what you were on pluses at. Yeah. over time and yeah, so so that that hell uh, of a lot better. Yeah, so you would have been that would have been a little bit like oh this is nice. Yeah, this <laughs> didn't realise you know you get. That, but I'll tell you the funny thing yeah, later yeah. on, we'll come into that. But, um, yeah, so then um, more or less he said, well, you're going to have to do a, a a medical. Yeah. And you have to go up to Mount Isa and be interviewed by the superintendent. Um, and he was stationed at Mount Isa. At Mount Isa, yeah. Yeah, yep, okay. yep. Um, fellow by the name of Vaughan. Yep. And um, so I went to Bullia and the flying doctor, Dr. Pat O'Leary, a Dr. O'Leary, the flying doctor, an Irishman. Oh, okay, yeah. And he did, you know, as fit as a Mallee bull. Yep. And um, he said, and this by the O'Leary, I never forget, he said, he said, perhaps, Terry, you should, you should be joining the IRA. He said, <laughs> not the Queensland Gestapo. <laughs> You'll be joining the IRA. IRA. Yeah, the IRA. <laughs> he you me. Anyway, he's a lovely old fellow. But so then I had to go to Mount Isa to see the superintendent for Yeah. And... And I was shitting myself like I drove to Dajara and 
Dave Bark, who became a lifelong friend later on, yeah, um, drove me from from Dejara to Mount Isa, okay, for this yeah. interview. Okay, yeah. So um, we're going along, and um, in a blue Falcon Ute, um, and around about the Urundanji turn off somewhere there, there's a bloody huge bang, yeah, and the bloody Ute stopped, and I didn't know whether whether I was shot or shit or what happened. <laughs> the back of the Ute stopped, I'm looking around for bullet hole, and it actually got out of timing and backfired and stopped. Ah, uh, okay. Falcon Ute, see. And I said to Dave, because off the station, you've got a bit of mechanical bush mechanics. Bush mechanics stuff. You, you know? Yeah. I said to him, "What? What's happened?" I said, "Well, the old girl stopped." You know. I said, "Yeah, I can see that." Said we've not shot, eh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I said, lift up the bonnet. So I lifted up the bonnet. So I undid the distributor cap, which is the first thing you did. Mm. I checked the rotor button, and the little lug in the rotor button had snapped off ah. and, and, and had gone around, got out of timing, backfired, and stopped. Yeah. I said, mate, the bloody that rotor button lug's broke, it's snapped off it, and it's not in time. So anyway, I said, what? What do you got? You got any tools in this car? Yeah. I said, it's a police car. <laughs> we don't have tools in a police car. <laughs> Bullshit. I said, what do you got in the car? What do you got in there? Nothing. What do you got in the glove box? He said, the only thing I've got in the glove box, he said, Terry, he said, as soon as you give me a little bit of wool to take to Kmart in Mount Isa yeah. to, for knitting. She has knit, knitting oh, wool. Yeah. Yeah, had to yeah. be this colour, see? I said, mate, might be just a trick. So I got this bit of wool and I pulled it apart. I put it down over the, the distributor shaft and I pushed the bloody rotor button up and down until it sort of, there's enough wool there to sort of seal it in place, secure yeah. it in place. Bloody put the cap on, but kicked it in the gear while we went. <laughs> so I sort of went to Mount Isa on a little bit of fluff. <laughs> so we get up to Mount Isa and, and, and I, I'm just bloody walking this and he's pretty stern sort of fellow, this, yeah. this superintendent. Yeah, and... Uh, Dave said, "Oh, he said, super. He said we didn't we didn't get here. He said only for Terry. He said got the Ute going. He saw what happened. He told him about the wool. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said uh, that's where we want young fella. We said young fellas from the bush have got a bit of initiative, yeah. bit of initiative. He initiative. Said. And that was the end of the interview. He knows it. He said you're right. Where you go, you're. you're oh wow, that's I'll cool. I'll sign the paper for you. Yeah, that's mad. So a little bit of fluff me got got me in, <laughs> a bottle of rum. A little bit of fluff got me in the job. <laughs> that's how it usually works, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you get you out of the job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, usually gets you out of the job. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> where were you? Where were you stationed first? Like, did you have a point where, like, being the stock well, squad, were you stationed somewhere and then you head out or? I could. How does it work? Probably, yeah. Cleveland was my first station. Okay, yeah, sure. I had to go to the Oxley Police Academy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Which yep. I, mum and dad, by this time, sold their property and they moved to Victoria Point, Redland Bay. Down oh, there. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was lucky enough. Probably since I left home, you know, to boarding boarding school and then worked in the West, is where four months was probably the most amount of time I'd spent with my mum and dad in my wow. life since I wow. was a baby, really. Yeah. It? And it was great, you know. Like dad was a He's a good old fellow. He didn't mind having a beer now and a rum or two. And like mum, bloody good old bloody bush cook. And you know, I was good, good to sort of be with them. You yeah, know, to be yeah. be with them there. And because I drove every day and backwards and forwards to the Oxley Academy. Ah, okay, yeah, cool. And um, I'll just relate there. The first day, we walked in, and a mob of sort of young fellows from everywhere, you know. And 
and we're sort of talking and carrying yep. on. And this big fella walked in, oh, about six foot eight, I suppose. He had it in uniform and he had a big, big bloody lawyer cane. Oh, wow. And we're talking and he slammed it down on this desk. <laughs> well, frightened the shit out of us all. <laughs> Bang. Well, he got, his, he got our attention. He said, you fellas think this is a big joke, don't you? They all think it's a joke. All talking and laughing in here. He said, this is no joke. If anyone doesn't want to stay here, you can leave now. Three of them walked out straight away. They <laughs> go on. And they fight this. He frightened them out of there, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sign up for this so, shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, we got, we got marched around. and. and how long did they, how long was it? Three, four, four months. Four months, yeah. 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 I, I, I did it tough early in the piece because I hadn't done any studies since I left school. Yeah, sure. I'd just written station diaries and done a yep. bit of bookkeeping stuff, you know. And you had to learn these big long definitions. Ah, okay, yeah. Off by heart and that. I think I started off. I think I got sixty nine for my first exam and my final exam. I think I got eighty six or eighty seven oh, wow. or something. Yeah, so yeah. I was getting better as getting I, better. I was yeah. going. And uh, but anyway, yeah. So that was sort of um, that was good. So um, the first station was uh, Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Um, and arrived there at Cleveland. Well, it's not far from home. Mum and Dad's place yep. to Cleveland. And um, uh, arrived there. And as a senior sergeant, Bob Gibson. Yep. Um, if he wasn't the crankiest man in Queensland, he'd get second <laughs> prize. There's a sergeant, first class, Col Athlete, and a mob of other <laughs> couple of police women. Yeah. And um, yeah. And. They were sort of thrown into the deep end yeah. straight from the start. Straight away. And uh, I remember my first day. Do you really? I won't forget my first day, I'll tell you, the <laughs> first day. This buddy Bob Gibson, he called me and said, um, he used to call me probationary. Probationary. He said, um, you know anything about traffic incidents? I said, oh, I learned a little bit senior, I said. I know you've got to fill out this bloody big red form with all these little boxes on it. He said, well, there's a traffic incident at Alexandria Hills. Oh, yeah. And this street, I want you to go to attend it straight away. And that was about – I'd been there for about an hour. Oh, wow. So away I go. By myself. By no yourself. No one with me. By myself. Mark, police car. Yep. Where I went. Full uniform. And in these accident reports, there was uh, Unit 1 and Unit 2. Okay. Okay. Unit 1 is always the one that's at fault. Yep. So you got to fill this form and get one – so when I get there, I find there's a Harley Davidson in the middle of the road, upside down. There's a bikey with a broken leg. Ooh. That's not real happy. There's a Labrador with a broken leg. And the owner of the Labrador dog, he not real happy. And the dog was much less happy. The bloke with the broken, the bikey with the broken leg, he's trying to kill, <laughs> trying to kill the bloke who owned the Labrador dog. The bloke that owned the Labrador dog's trying to kill the bikey because he'd broken his best dog's leg. And they're screaming and yelling and swearing at each other. And all I'm trying to find out who, who's unit one. Who's <laughs> unit two. <laughs> By myself. Oh, my uh-huh. God. Oh. What, what, what ended what up happening? Did he end up hitting the dog, did he? Is that what he Yeah, he hit, he hit the, the dog. dog. Yeah. I don't know whether he swerved or whatever, but yeah. he, he hit this dog and mm. broke its leg, smashed yeah. the dog's leg. 
He's come off the bike. And broken he's broken his, his leg. <laughs> he's prized for Harley's on the ground. He's a full-blown biker, you know, with all the yeah. gear on him and that. And uh, and they're, they're trying to kill each other. And I think, well, Jesus, I didn't really learn day. about this. I didn't learn about this in the police academy. We didn't, we didn't, I didn't <laughs> see this as a scenario. <laughs> yeah, where's this in the handbook? <laughs> yeah, 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 so, but um, right, that's, so did you have to do general duty stuff before you went to the? Is that what you had to do? That's or? what I was doing, general duty. Oh, okay. Until I, yeah, I did mainly. I did inquiries. Yeah, I did whatever they call you to. You know, you get merging things. Go to this. Go to that. Yeah. Inquiries, um, uh, driver's testing. Oh, driver's yeah, testing. yeah, yeah. Um, I'll probably tell you about about two things that happened with driver testing. Some driver schools in those days had little Holden Geminis. Oh, yeah, yeah. With dual control. Oh, yeah, yeah. First day, this woman, away we go, come up to a, a stop sign, intersection with the main road from Brisbane runs down to the barges there. A gravel truck, about fifty ton gravel truck with a big trailer on loaded up coming along. So this little lady I'm testing decides she's not gonna stop at the stop. <laughs> oh shit. So I just stood on the brakes and we skidded a bit and this front of this gravel truck just missed the front. And anyway, she started crying and and anyway I said, Well, you're failed, you could have killed the both of us. Yeah, that's right. Which she could eat like it was a split second. Yeah, if, from even if I would have hit and missed those pedals, we were dead. dead. It would yeah. run over and kill us. Yeah, back. of course, definitely. So that was one that sort of happened in that bit of fun. And <laughs> the next one, this lady, she came out. She's a really nice young lady. I suppose she'd be about twenty-five or so, pretty good sort. Yeah. And she's testing, and she drove really well. Really well, yeah. Come back, and they always say, "Well, how do I go?" And I said, "Well, you're right, you're through." So I'm getting out of the car, and she's getting out of the car. And she said, oh, well, how did I go, you know? I said, no, you passed. I said, you're a good driver. You do everything right, you know. So she come running around. She grabbed me. She big hug and <laughs> big kiss, you know. But, oh, she said, oh, she said, that's great. She said, my husband said if I pass the driving test today, he was going to buy me a new car. And I thought, well, he'll want to shoot me. <laughs> Yes, I got a big hug and a big hug and smothering kisses with the old man. I want to kill me. He want to shoot me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, yeah, uh, he must have been pretty confident she wasn't going to. Yeah. So that was pretty fairly soon. Well, my first Saturday in the job, I worked. We used to work like at Cleveland, eight to fours. Um, you'd work a four to twelve. Sometimes six to two a.m. Ah, okay. But no, yeah. sort of after about two or so later shift. Yeah. A- a- anyway, so a Saturday night, working with a fellow named by Alan Book. Book, he's not with us any longer. Yeah. Uh, I worked with him in Gladstone later on. We get a call to the Cabal Bar Tavern. Okay. Now, this is like the scenario from hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's a woman there. She's of Spanish type appearance. Yeah. And colour and black hair down halfway down the chest. Yeah. Um, she's got really badly drunk. Ah, okay. Her partner or boyfriend or whatever he was hit her over the top of the head <laughs> with a wine bottle. Oh, jeez. Smashed the wine bottle, cut all her head. Um, she was bleeding out of the head through this black hair. Oh. She'd stepped out of all the gear. Oh. She was naked. Oh, jeez. In the middle of the bloody... Capalabar Tavern Lounge. 
<laughs> and then when they come near her, she wanted to punch them or belt them or kick them. Oh, jeez. In the raw. So me and Bookie arrived. Oh, my God. Didn't learn about this in the police <laughs> manual. <laughs> in the police training. <laughs> so we're trying to get Oliver. Yeah. Ambulance arrives. He arrives. We go there first. Pulls up. Ambulance bearer's got glasses on. Okay, yeah. And we're saying, look, you've got to come with us. And I got older by the arm, and she's like a slippery eel because oh, she, was, all the... she was covered in blood all yeah. down her arms. I'm trying to get Oliver. And the ambulance bearer got in to try and get Oliver, and she goes, whack, hits him fair in the bloody in the face, <laughs> breaks his glasses. Oh, no. So eventually, the old mate Booker, he wasn't doing much at all. <laughs> He's hanging back. I don't know why, but <laughs> don't know why. God. Anyway, we we got her trying to get a blanket round her. Yeah. But she's just kicking and thrashing and throwing her arms and legs. And so I finished up tackling her, <laughs> getting her on the ground yeah. and got this bloody handcuffs on the bitch. <laughs> so... So then we're marching her out to get her in the back of the ambulance. So when we get in the back of the ambulance, she's just kicking, kicking, kicking wow. the bloody stretcher, kicking and screaming and yelling and slopping this blood and slopped oh. hair all around. So we got her in the front of the ambulance, in the middle. I've got my arm through her arm, holding her back in the seat. Yeah. She's kicking shit out of the radios in the ambulance and it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> So we decided we'd take her to the PA hospital and give her an injection. Yeah. You know, to, and to check on her bleeding head, which is blood running over everything. So just she's very kindly <laughs> between Kapalabar Tavern and the PA hospital, vomited over me three times. Oh, no. So the first one was sort of about me right ear level and oh. all over me. So I had a pretty fair assessment that she'd had peanuts, <laughs> chicken. Pasta, heaps of red wine, <laughs> which has covered on covered me. She's done that three times. So when we go into the bloody oh the main road you cross near buddy before Kent back right back near Cleveland, there's a big road runs around Macrovat. It's raining. The ambulance bearer, he driver, he he skids and we skid it up and we hit the post on the side. Oh no! We, we put a big dent in the mudguard of the ambulance. Oh no! In among all this, anyway, we get her to the PA hospital. I've jumped out, and you know, you see these dogs that they <laughs> shake themselves oh, when, yeah. they, when they went there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I've got out, and I've just shook myself in about, <laughs> about five kilograms of bloody peanuts and half chewed chicken oh, and pasta flew off me. On the, <laughs> On the ground. Well, I never see this bloody nurse. They were all there waiting for us, you know. And she's hit her in the bloody, in the back end with this bloody needle. It looked like a stirrup pump. <laughs> and bloody, I tell you, well, that took all the bloody squark out of her. Did it? Know? Yeah, it down She kept on slopping me up the oh, side of the head with this blood-soaked gross. black hair, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh. God, I got home that night. Poor old mum, she was waiting up for me, you know. Like, oh, was she? I think it was my first night shift and... When she see me, I was covered in blood and spear. She, no, she, I'm she sure just she had a heart attack. <laughs> poor old mum, nearly had a heart attack. Your poor mother. <laughs> and when I'm coming home, I'm thinking, TJ, you are a dickhead. <laughs> what the fuck? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, well, I could have been out to stock camp. <laughs> I, didn't to, I didn't have to put up with this sort of mm, thing. Mm. Like, yeah, like a... Uh, how yeah. long? How long did you have to do your general duty stuff before you went to the well, stock, do the stock squad? Well, I did. Was it like I, the training interim? Yeah. Well, see, I 
Generally speaking, police had to do, if they wanted to join the stalks, with three years in uniform. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. I was from August to, um, was I, uh, was September, October, November. November, I had about three months, four months at Cleveland. Yeah. And it because I'd written in my resume that I wanted to serve out west. Yeah. Uh, and I'd worked with Aboriginal people and work with them and for them and that yeah. um, I got all of a sudden like uh, like Mergen come up, which said Sherberg. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So I got transferred to Mergen. Yeah, okay. Um, which was like a baptism of fire. But yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's why I sort of got transferred to Mergen. Yep. And when I was at Mergen, I used to, on my days off, I used to break horses in and did fencing yep. and, and stock work and that. And the detective... Uh, at Mergen, his brother was in charge of the Charles Tower Stock Squad. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, Stuart Warren, Strafeld Warren was the detective at Mergen there for a while. And then he, he, um, you know, he told Ken, you want to get this bloke in the stock squad? Yeah. You know, and I finished up. I did, all up I did about oh, 20 months or something in uniform. In uniform, yeah. Before I actually went into the into the um, uh, stock squad at Charles Towers. But... Uh, was that like a long 20 months for you? <laughs> well, Because it wasn't really what you initially signed up for. No, like you wanted no. to do the stock squad you know, Strangely enough, yeah, I, I didn't sort of mind it. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, you, know, you sort of those days, you had, like your mates in the job, they were your workmates. Yeah, we, okay. we looked after each other. Yeah, We, we stood up for each other. Yeah. Um, and I didn't re- – I was looking forward to going into the stock squad. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, like I just – there's two things that happened at at um, Mergen mm-hmm. that um, I was working a, a Friday night, and um, there was a, a fatal road accident where a young fellow was taking his 17 year old brother to the picture theatre in um, Kingaroy. Yep, and uh, hit a tree and killed him. Oh, killed spikes. himself. Yeah, and and back in those days. Um, like uniform police, they still do it now. I think. Oh, I don't know what they do. I think they do. You had to do the post mortem. Yeah. Okay. And um, and the post mortem those days was done at Wandai. Yeah. And there was a fellow, Doctor Lip, and he's a Malaysian. Yeah. And he's the biggest Chinaman in the world. Yeah. And um, and you had to be the offsider. Okay. Yeah. So you were, were you documenting? You were in the business, so yeah. you got to quite often take the skull off and yeah. Cut the ribs up and all that, and that was what you did if they didn't have a morgue attendant or whatever. Morgue attendant, yeah. In, in country areas, the policemen did that. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I was, sure. Yep. I was thrown at the deep end, just in the job. How'd you find that? So here we are, seventeen-year-old, <clears throat> in this old cement bloody building out behind the Wandai Hospital, and there's a big storm on. Oh shit! Here we are. We got this poor kid opened up. Um, this big bloody, biggest bloody Malaysian there, sort of open, doing the work. I'm there and lightning outside and all of a sudden, <coughs> no electricity, lights are out. Oh, you're kidding. And the lightning could flash and all I could look down is like a horror movie, this body <laughs> on this bloody slab and this big, big oh, Chinese no. doctor. And I said this, <laughs> I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> 
I went outside <laughs> under the awning of the old morgue. Yeah. I was standing out there, Dr. Lip. I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I got outside until the lights come back on. I wouldn't bloody go back in. It would have been like something out of a horror oh, movie. Oh, it was. And it was my first post-mortem outside, you know. Yeah. Like when we went through police training. Yeah. And this is another story and this is a terrible story. But yeah. you had to go into a post-mortem. Yes. And you had to sit it out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um, and, you know, a lot of people didn't like that. And if you couldn't sit through a post-mortem, yeah. you know, they'd um, – they'd well, you wouldn't you, – you wouldn't. You could hunt it. Yeah. You could really. yeah. And they put you in this big cold room in the in the morgue in Brisbane, big Brisbane city morgue where some bodies have been there for 60 years. Crazy, eh? You know, been there for a long time. Yeah. And they put you in there and they're saying, oh, this fellow, he, he, he got killed in 1942 and – all this sort of stuff. It hasn't been identified or whatever. Um, anyway, you're in there and then they turn the lights out. <laughs> well, we had two police women in our squad. Well, the squeals that come out of those girls, you know, <laughs> plus some other girls we had in there that had balls. <laughs> yeah. squealing too, don't worry. I just just about shit myself and I said, I'm not moving. I'm standing dead still <laughs> yeah. until these lights come back on, you know. But, um, oh, play, yeah. play a little prank on you. yeah. Well, another fellow there, he, I won't mention his name, but uh, uh, he, he, buddy, what's the name? He's, he's ditched us up. He had a bloody, one of those rubber vomits, you know those rubber vomits? Oh, yeah, yeah, the rubber ones, and he yeah. was in the front and he pretended he was throwing up. We had this <laughs> old fellow cut up there and he, he goes, and he threw this out on the floor in front of us. <laughs> well, his exit stage right. <laughs> 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 oh, the bastard of a trick, I tell you. No, oh, that's a good I, one. I, I don't like know whether he, whether he was set up to do it or not, but I tell you what, that wasn't real good. I would have played pranks on them too. Yeah, knowing your professional job, you would have done. Hundred percent. But, uh, but that was. But anyway, the the next thing that happened to me. Yeah. That was um. Was dead set bloody frightening. Mm. Um, Friday afternoon again by myself. Yeah. Got called to uh, between Mergen and and Nango. There was Bramber Creek was on a hairpin bend. You come down and there was a bridge on the corner and the road went the other way. Oh, yeah, okay. And yep. this woman, she was a little school teacher from Gainda. She come roaring down there, probably going a bit too fast. Yeah. She's sort of missed the bridge and she's gone. She's taken out all the guideposts. Oh, wow. And um, finished up over the bridge, hanging by the passenger side front wheel on, on a beam oh, sticking whoa, out. Geez. She's inside it unconscious. Whoa. There's water underneath. Whoa. And I'm there, me and her. Wow. And you could have just bumped this bloody car and, and would have gone over. She would have drowned. Wow. So I think, holy shit, what do I do? So I've raced up round the bend. Uh, I put my bloody blue light, blue lights on. Yeah. I run back around and I stop the first car on the other side. Yeah. And then I called um, and he's, I said, don't let anyone pass. And I called Tucker's uh, toilet police station, ambulance, everyone, ambulance first and then yeah. – and I wanted help. And um, what's the name? And Tucker's, uh, the um, panel beater, said a tow truck. Oh, yeah, okay. So yeah. bring all the chains you can get. Yeah. Uh, we chained the bloody car to the bridge. That's a good idea, yeah. yeah. So, and then I got down yeah. through the window – Passage side window in. Oh, wow. 
unhooked her out of the bloody seat belt. She yeah. was unconscious in there. And I lifted her out to the ambulance. The ambulance, only one ambulance, no police arrived, no yeah. one else helped. Wow. Ambulance bearer by himself. Wow. We lifted her up through and in into the up into we got her in the Holy ambulance. Smokes. And I had to drive the ambulance for he's by himself. <laughs> I left oh, because he was a ten. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. I left the police car locked yeah. up there and I drove the ambulance 100 mile now and he's trying to, you know, do, he's doing heart. Do, yeah, doing the rep. Yeah. Anyway, she survived. She survived. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But, but uh, when I sort of, oh my God, you know, you could have just with one hand probably pushed that car. Every time I go over that bridge, I get the shutters, you know, I think, oh Mate. my God. Mate, that's yeah. crazy. You know, that was just, well, that's the sort of things you could be confronted yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, like Mergen. There was, this is another one, at Mergen, bloody, at the time there was a lot of break and enters yeah. in, in the in the night time and a lot of gear, like a couple of shops around there, Mergen, Gamary, uh, had all the gear stolen out of, like clothing shops. Uh, okay, yeah. Every bit of gear stolen out of the wow. shops. And um, Jack Strickfuss, I finished up in the police barracks there after a while and he was the... Sergeant First Class, lovely old, big old German fella, born in Australia, but German descendancy. Yeah. Um, if he, something was on night, he grabbed me, put his cap on, and he'd come and grab me and say, quick, grab your cap, if you had your police cap on. <laughs> he said, there's, we've got a call, there's, there's burglars on the roof of the Westpac Bank. Oh, wow. Jemmy and the bloody iron off the roof. Ah, oh, okay. And, and the, we'd had all these robberies. Yeah. And we ran down and he said, you go around the back, I'll go around the front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Street lights out the front, not much around the back. <laughs> I got this torch, see, and I went around the back and here's this big ladder running up to the edge of the bank, which was pretty high up. Okay, yeah, sure. Wide bank. And, and I'm there and I've got a torch. I've got a torch and I've got a 38. Oh, yep, yeah, okay. In my hand. Yeah. Bloody loaded 38. Not cocked, but loaded. You're loaded, yeah. And I hear clump, clump, clump. These, I could hear these steps heading towards the ladder. Ah, oh, shit. Thought, Here's the robber. Yeah. And he's got a gun or what he's yeah. got. Yeah. Anyway, I'm bloody looking up there. And next thing, look, with the street lights in front, showed his, his silhouette sort of yeah. looking down the ladder. Yeah. You know. And I've turned the torch on him and I got the gun and I said, don't move or you're dead. <laughs> well, the poor bastard, he's gone over backwards. But he said, don't shoot, don't shoot. SEA electri- electrician. <laughs> poor bastard. It was a bloody, someone said they saw, saw, saw sparks oh, no. in the roof of the bank uh, and they were trying to find where the problem was. Oh, <laughs> shit. An oh. electrician. <laughs> He was a SEA electrician. Don't shoot, don't shoot. Oh, heart was going bobbity bobbity bobbity. Oh, it would have been. Your adrenaline would have been going through the roof, too. Another time, oh, we had, oh, we went through riots there. Oh, a lot of, lot of, you know, very serious things happened. Oh, really? I got bloody cut under here with a flag and one night flag and broken flag. and. Oh, really? Yeah, I had a lot of. A lot of sort of serious things happened there. But yeah. as I said, we all worked well. We were mates. We got along well. Yeah. Um, you know, and like like back then, probably 60 to 80 um, offenders in the watch house of a Friday night wasn't an uncommon number, you know. Wow. You know. Yeah. yeah that, you know. 
The, but, uh, that's um, you have to you have to tell us about this about the um, the the coincidence we were talking about it during the break. We we're saying about you bet that uh, John Hanley. Oh yeah, yep, yep. That's yep. a good yarn. You need to tell that yeah, yarn. Yeah, you want to hear the John. Yeah, Hanley. yeah. Tell 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 him the yarn about that because that that's really interesting. Like it's like a crazy small world. These I'm really fascinated about this sort of stuff. Well, it- um, later on, after I, I did go to the Charters Tower Stock Squad later on. Yeah. Uh, very old gold mining town. They just called the world one stage. Yeah. Uh, it was the second biggest town to Brisbane. Charters Towers was it? Some one stage had more people in. Charters Towers than Brisbane. Wow, it was it was a massive. They had two stock exchanges. Did they really in the town? Yeah, yeah. One's still there in the in yeah. the end of the main street there. I was looking through some old. I've always been a, a historian or looked at old history, particularly any sort of pastoral or yeah. explorer history or police history, and and I saw an old watch house book uh, before the turn of the century. Yeah, and. There was a John Hanley, H-A-N-L-Y, in yeah. there. And I thought, that's unusual because the Hanleys, I'm spelled H-A-N-L-Y. There's a lot of L-E-Ys, D-L-E-Ys. So there wasn't a lot of Hanleys, Hanleys about. Way. Yeah. And uh, anyway, this fella come from uh, Galway. Um, he was in the Irish Constabulary. Um, and, uh, okay, he come out here. Well, he got promoted to constable in the Queensland Police Force on the first of the top. I'm just reading this. Yeah, you're right. 1882. 1882. He was a senior constable in 1896 and he was a sergeant in 1908 in the wow. Queensland Police Force. Wow. As it was. Now, the more interesting, more interesting um, uh, thing was this is where the, a huge yeah. coincidence comes in. Yeah. Uh, age of entry, 25. Well, I was 25 years of age. <laughs> Religion, Roman Catholic. Well, I'm a cattle tech. Um, uh, the places he was stationed, he was in Petrie Terrace where everyone did their training yeah. originally. Roma Street, uh, which is the headquarters, Roma Street now, which was the old headquarters was over the road. But I worked in Roma Street uh in career later on as relieving inspector there in Roma Street, Ipswich. I never actually worked in Ipswich, but I did some some jobs in Ipswich. And then this is the big coincidence. Uh, on the 30th of the 11th, 1895, he got transferred to Charleville. Well, in, in um, on the... Uh, was It was then... Just can't think of the date. In November, yeah, uh, nineteen eighty-eight, mm. uh, um, I get transferred to Charleville. That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> then on twenty-fourth of tenth, uh, ninety-six, he got transferred to Orthella. Yeah. And I did a lot of work at Orthella Station there. That's crazy. There. So he was a child of Orthella. On the fourth of the sixth, nineteen ninety-seven. He got transferred to Townsville. Yeah. Well, I served in Townsville CIB in <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> 1980, you know. Yeah. So 1897, 1980, I was there. So then this is the biggest coincidence of all. In the 1st of the 10th, 1897, he got 
transferred to a place called Quentin in Charters Towers. Well, Quentin, at one stage there were 20 police stations in Charters Towers. Was there a head police station, 20 police stations, one of which was beside the railway station there. Yeah. Was Quinton Station. Yeah. Now, in those days, those little stations, there was a police house in the station, and they were both in the same building. The front of the front veranda on the left-hand side was the police station. A little room was the police station. Yeah. And the the constable or the residence was behind. Well, I went to... Um, I went to Charters Towers in 1977, September 77, and Ken Strafelt was my boss in the stock squad there. Yeah. And he lived in that house, the exactly same house yeah. that was the Quentin Police Station oh. where John Hanley lived. You're kidding. At, you know, uh, back in, when did he go there? I was like, 1897. Wow. I was in there 1977. <laughs> <laughs> and I stayed in that house babysitting his kids when they'd go out or go away yeah. for a couple of days in the same house that he lived in. Yeah. You know? Isn't that phenomenal? Like bloody hundred. Isn't that trippy? And, and then he's, he transferred to Charters Towers in 1905, North Station at Charters Towers. Yeah. And, and isn't that frightening stuff? It is frightening stuff. You know, and he superannuated from the police in the 1st of October 1913. Yeah. I superannuated from the police on the 8th of June, uh, 2012. Yeah. So Nearly 100 years. Nearly 100 years, years later, yeah. I retired, he retired, <laughs> and he died in Brisbane on the 6th of October, 1935. Wow. And he went just about everywhere I was. Yeah. But there was only one difference with him. What's that? He wouldn't ride a horse. It, really? I didn't know that. He'd ride a push bike. Yeah. Uh, drive a buggy. Yeah. But refuse to ride a horse. <laughs> you know, I spent my whole life riding horses in the yeah, police yeah, and out of the police. But he ride a push bike. Yeah. And he's pursuing a, a criminal down the, around the corner of the White House Hotel in 18, it's all 1899 or something, and he slipped on some sand and broke his hip <laughs> on his, off his push bike at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Jeez. But I've got his complete... When I got onto the police museum, I got his complete police file yeah. here with me in my hand here I'm reading from, and it's all his police exams. Um, wow, it's amazing they had his, all that on his, record. His sick leave, his, his uh, favourable records, his promotions, every report is in this document I've got in my hand here. That's unbelievable. Of John Hanley. Yep, That's yep. unbelievable. And, and if I went to the police now, yep. I don't know whether I could get hold of it, but my file would be... Probably bigger than this, but yeah. um, it's it's you all can do there. the same thing. It's, it's amazing how they kept all yeah. those records. It's called your personal file. Personal file, you know? radio, yeah. And and um, I uh, the funny thing about my wife, Robin, she was the longest serving policewoman. Yes, in the Queensland Police Service when she retired. Wow. And she had access to my personal file. Yeah. Because she was the inspector's district office clerk in in Charleville then. Superintendent in, in 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 Rockhampton, and the chief superintendent's staff officer in Rockhampton. Okay, yep. And when Bill McGrath typed my application up, he had to type it up on an old hand typewriter. Oh, really? And we possibly between us nearly drank a bottle of rum <laughs> while we were typing it. Yeah. And and this buddy, she's like a pack of poo ticket. This bloody application, <laughs> she's punched out and typed over and under and roundabout and. 
I was telling Robin, she she actually saw a copy of it. Did she? Of, of the original applica- of his uh, application he put in for me. Did he? Did he? Oh, really? She said, well, I can, you weren't telling lies about <laughs> you. You drank a bottle of rum and typed the application. <laughs> oh, I love that. But, but, um, oh, that's Yeah, brilliant. that's a little bit of history yeah. there. That's, no, that's cool. That's so freakish. It is freakish. Know, it, it, and it is freakish. There's a lot of stuff in there as well. Yeah, there's sim- similarities. Oh yeah, yep. that's fascinating, mate. Yeah. I thought that would. Be, I thought yeah. it was just great to I, share I, that. I just brought that along, and I thought, yeah. well, that's just that's the way it is. No, that's that's, that's fact, yeah. mate. That's brilliant. Yeah. I um, what we might do is we might hold it up there for today, um, and then what we'll do is with part three, we'll go through and discuss your years through the stock squad some of the events that took place. Yep. I know you've got a poem here to share, so we'll yep. get you to share that one on the part three as well Yep. Um, and get that sort of idea, uh, get that sort of part all together in that series as well. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, that's so, good price, mate, that's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. So that's part two done and dusted and everyone else will have to keep an eye out for part number three coming okay. to be advised very shortly. So Thanks very much for no, riding us along. No, I appreciate it, man. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll see you around for part three. Okay. Cheers. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Brozzy. Thanks, Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.